Well, 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 he's back, and it's episode number 148. You're looking tan, you're looking rested, you're Mm. looking fresh, you're looking like this will be your best performance in the history Mm -hmm. of Mitch Unfiltered, episode 148. Looks can be deceiving from time (laughs) to time, so let's not get our hopes up, but we we did take the red eye back, which does not lend to being rested. When did you get back, though? The plane landed at 7.30 a.m. on 4th of July. Okay, so you've had now 36 hours since, right? Yes, correct, yes. We've had 36 hours. You took the red eye. Yeah, I was Strategic move to take the red eye. Well, I I wanted one extra. I wanted to squeeze another day out of it. And it was actually kind of nice not having to stress and worry about getting up at 9 and packing. But then you pay on the other end. You pay on the other end. you got to pay the piper, (laughs) as they say. But... As much as the red eye sucked, are you are you playing? I'm I'm in the middle seat. There's there's no there's no sleeping for me. Hotshot, I have not been on a plane in like two years. You, but you don't you know, remember you know, if you're a plane sleeper or not? Oh, am I a plane sleeper? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you said am I? Uh, yeah. If I if I'm on the window. Well, see, I wasn't. Otherwise, on the if I'm on the aisle, I got to put my head on the guy's shoulder next to me. <laughs> I, I, there was no I sleeping. Think that that's. That's was, a little bit over the line. Yeah, that's a little yeah, yeah. uncalled Especially for. in the pandemic. Non-pandemic, yes. stranger shoulder, oh. fair game. Oh, yeah, big spoon. Sometimes I'll even put spoon. one of those little pillows that people have drooled all over. <laughs> yeah, they don't give those out <laughs> anymore. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> we have to. We need to check a few boxes here. Oh, we do, okay. We can't even begin the tease. So this is like the tease of the tease. I can't even begin the tease section, oh. section of 148 until we cross off some things here. Okay. Number one, softball tournament. Mm. You can't. We can't bring things up on Mitch Unfiltered and then never get the payoff. Okay. At the last that I checked, I think they had won one and lost one in the District 9 Softball All-Stars. Correct. And by virtue of my texts and the videos that I get, Mm -hmm. you would think that Piper has never made an out (laughs) in her life in softball. At that point, she was four for four, I think. Okay, so there you go. She had never made an out. So... What what happened (laughs) to the team, and did she ever? Did anybody ever get her out, or is she Shohei Otani? Who is she? So when I left the show last time, she was on her way to play the other Piper. Correct for like the third time or fourth time. Yeah, they they played in the regular season, and they played. And and the other Piper's dad is a listener. He's a patron too. Yeah, he's a a paying patron. That's right, Dan, the patron. God, I was gonna put him down, but I won't do that. He's asking me to do the show for him during the game. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sitting there doing the show for the guy. Yeah, yeah. So they played Sammamish, and Piper's first at bat was like a crappy infield single that probably could have gone foul, but the catcher touched it. RBI, she's safe. Next at bat, triple. I mean, smacked it to the fence. Are you saying she was six for six in All-Stars? she was four for four. at that point. So she's not playing every game. She's coming off the bench. Well, the first two games, she pinch hit once with zero defense. First game, she hits a two-run single to tie it. She pinch hit, and there was no defense on the field? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's why she's so good. <laughs> she only got one at bat the first game, one at bat the second game against the uh, team that went on to win it. She hits yeah. a home run where it's a triple, but the girl was kind of dicking around at third, and Piper just took off and somehow beat the, beat the throw. And she score. hit it in the gap. Yeah, she was, it was a proper triple, but okay. she, she scored on okay. it. Okay. So now she's two for two in two games, and her coach texts me and said, um, tomorrow Piper's starting and batting fifth. He'd, like, he'd seen enough. Two why is the coach texting the father to do that well so she's i don't know so she can get ready oh, so okay. i don't i don't know yeah. oh, but th- what do you carry some weight around what do you got cloud well, on that team forget, or something that's her coach since fourth grade and okay, that's his, okay. you know he's so she started his and then she goes daughter. two for two in her first two at bats she goes two for two in the game she started this yes. is the third game yes and she only got two at bats because they mercied sammamish Okay, so now they're two and one, and they're still in the losers bracket. Yeah, but and now they play again. They play a t- the, the team that beat them the second time, Redmond, which is like the best team in the league by okay, far. Okay, and, and that's it. 
they got crushed. they got mercy. And how'd them. she do? She's four for four going uh, into that game. First at bat, bases loaded for Piper, and she's been red hot, right? Red hot. Bases loaded. I hope you would consider, if she's not red hot, who's red hot? I'm like, oh, God. You here. can't get her out. And she already hit a, a, the that, Soden kid. She already hit that cockamamie home run off the same pitcher. It's the Soden kid. Just put her on. <laughs> Four. Can you walk? Can you walk? Uh, softball? Yes, in softball. You can put slide and walk. And yes. Why pitch to her? Well, bases were loaded. Yeah. Was she pinch hit four in the middle of an at bat? Was she pulled out of the game in the middle of a bat? Never during the middle of an at bat. I wink, and everybody's like, "What is he talking about?" Yeah, yeah, I won't go there. That, that, that's that's a rough one. Yeah. yeah. So bases loaded. I'm like, "Oh shit!" I'm nervous. Here we go. Smacks it right back to the pitcher. Catches it. Yeah, it was or like on a, a bounce. Like on a bounce. On a bounce. Fielder's choice. Comebacker. Back it. Yeah. Back. Throws at the home. catcher. Throws the catcher. Yeah. Doubler at first. No, no. They, Not they, with Soden's speed. Well, no, she's fast. She's okay. shockingly fast for okay. her size. I, so I don't so get they it. couldn't double her up. So she's no, no, no. a fielder's choice. Fielder's out, choice out, out at home. home. Okay. Next at bat, yep. line drive, smacked it to the second baseman. Second baseman caught it. It's just one of those really? games where she hit it at everybody. The whole team was hitting it at everyone. They All got right. their asses kicked. So season's over. Oh, oh for two or oh for more than two? Oh for two. Because the, so four for six in the tournament? In the tournament, yeah. Six sixty seven in the tournament? We'll take it. Not bad for cut someone her. who didn't start. Cut her ass. <laughs> She's actually trying out for a select cut, team. Cut her ass. She's trying out for right. a select team. So I got this week. that. She's I checked. Let me let me let me check that off. Thank you. Hold on a second. All right, now. Condo in Hawaii. Yes. Silverware. We go yes. no further on okay. episode 148. I gave this until some thought. I find out about the. I warned you, don't do this. I gave this some thought. Don't use the silverware in the rented condo. Okay. Has there ever been a t- so? Let me ask you this: okay. when, you, when you go to, to oh, you used you, it. You definitely used it. Yeah. When you go I, to I, Daniel's I, with your family, I do know, you bring your own silver. I with do. You? Yes. You do, oh, no, every I time don't. you go out, you bring. No, but Artie Jerkowitz does. <laughs> My dad's best friend in the world, eighty something years yeah, old, yeah. has been bringing his own silverware to restaurants for years. Yes. For this exact reason. Doesn't trust it. Well, I mean, and what? he cleans hotel rooms before he moves in. <laughs> he brings product really? and everything. Oh, yeah. He, before the pandemic, he was doing that. <laughs> He's been doing it for 65 years. He carries it in his pocket. Turns out he was right. He carries this little thing in his pocket. He yeah. pulls it out, and it's a fork, a knife, and a spoon. It's like a, it's, it's fancy. You don't you can't tell that it's silverware, but then he opens it up, and there's three three little pieces of silver. Yes. Wow. He's okay. been bringing silverware to restaurants for years. You're going to be that guy Artie one day. You will be that guy one no, day. No, I'd already be that guy if I'm going to be that oh, guy. Oh, okay. So you're rational. You use the silverware. But what silverware gets used more? At a restaurant that's used 10 to 12 times a day? Yeah. Or at a place that people rent for a week or 10 days? A restaurant. And there's a dishwasher. Right? You don't yeah, trust Yeah, but a, restu- a restaurant yeah. has probably got the great... I mean, a good restaurant's probably got the greatest... Heavy duty <laughs> this dishwashers like never worked come on. in a restaurant. Come on, they've got to have great dishwashers. I think they're actually their hot water is hotter than normal. Yeah, it's, it's got to be effing hot. Be. Believe me, I used to spray. You go to a condo yeah. where the Jackson family was in yeah. there until Thursday. They're you get clean. there on Thursday. They're all clean. The Jacksons, they're clean people. Frank Jackson had an itch. He says, honey, give me one of those knives. He had one on his back, itch on his back, and he's using the knife from the kitchen to scratch his back. Then he puts it back in. And those are the, that's the silverware you're using. Yeah, I I personally, I've told you. You used it all week. I'm I'm not a germaphobe. So you're talking to the wrong guy. I don't know that I'm a germaphobe. Oh, no, you are. This is reasonable. This this is very reasonable. If you won't use silverware, then with through a dishwasher, you're a germaphobe, officially. 
I mean, you guys have a dishwasher, I assume. Do you yeah, have a he- heavy-duty one? or I, I don't know that I I believe that even that silverware went through it. How do we know it went through a dishwasher? If anything, it should be disgusted by the shower or the bathroom floor. Yeah, disgusted by that. Too. Yeah, see? Now, that if you really want to get down to it, that could probably gross you out a little more. The pillowcases. I mean, they wash everything, but the sheets, what? the carpet. I mean, they're I, not I, steam cleaning it. I am. I am. I very rarely do these. What do you call these timeshares? Is that what you call it? That's what you call it. I very. I, I could probably can count on one on three fingers. Okay. How many times I've ever done such a thing? I, I'm always the guy. Who, I'll stay in a hotel. I don't need yeah. a timeshare. And when I have, I have always gone to the store on the way to check in. On the way to check in, we stop at the at the store yeah, yeah. and we get plastic knives and forks oh, and spoons wow. oh, well, for the and hotel, plates. Yeah. No, no, I'm talking about for the time Oh, for the time Yeah, and bowls and paper plates and paper yeah. napkins. We come, we the Levies get to that condo. We're ready to go without the silver. Screw the environment. Plastic all the way around. <laughs> well, look, it, it doesn't bother me okay. at all. No, I, it, it, okay. I didn't. Okay. I swear to you. And then you, you go down. We, were, we grilled steaks one night. Yeah, I'm sure those things aren't haven't been cleaned in God knows how long. What are we talking about now? The grill? Uh, yeah, the barbecue that everyone uses. That doesn't yeah. seem to bother people. No, it doesn't bother me because <laughs> a it's piping hot, yeah. and b the food goes on there before people eat it. You don't eat something and then put it on there. Yeah, it's blackened. There's crap yeah, all yeah, over there, it. Yeah, it does bother there's me. There's plenty of bit. things to be grossed out about I in know, hotels. But yeah. there's something about silverware. Yeah, and something about a fork, a spoon that you're eating cereal with. You just don't know where that spoon was on Thursday. Two days ago, I dropped one of my lozenges on the ground at the Maui airport and, picked and picked it up and ate it. So uh, you're talking to the uh, wrong person. I would do that too. Okay, good. All right, so I'm checking. Are we done that. checking boxes? Uh, no, that this that one. All right, all right. Highlight. You want to give us quick highlights of Hawaii? Yes. Good news, bad news. You were at Kapalua. I saw a picture. You kept on sending me pictures. That was very nice of you. To, I felt like I was with you. At, oh yeah. At some point, yeah. Kapalua was amazing. Yeah. Uh, no, no. Uh, Kanapali. Not Kapalua. Kapalua was a little more north. I thought you said you sent me a picture of the Tournament of Champions. That's Kapalua. I, I went to breakfast there. Okay. But I wasn't staying that's on there. the other. Yeah, that's on the other side of the island. It was very nice. Yeah, very nice. A little rainy. A little rainy. It's rainy it was, over there on that side. It is. Yeah. yeah, that's what they say. Yeah, we stayed in Kanapali. Yeah. The bad news is I had to unleash my COVID body to the world. <laughs> unleash? Oh, you had to take the shirt off. <laughs> well, it's been you know a year and a half. Hasn't been the greatest for the gym time. Yeah. But the good news is um, I wasn't alone. <laughs> as I looked around. <laughs> I sure oh. wasn't. It's was rough on some people. Woo. So you're saying if a Martian living in America, if a Martian was dropped down to Earth and just went to the beaches these days in America, they'd be like, "Woo, oh, good eatings, bad country." <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm not finding my future Martian wife on this on this beach. Yeah, yeah. Really, it's not been good to the. Well, yeah, there were yeah, there was some, a lot of people. Yeah, to a lot of people. A lot of beach whales. I was one of them. A lot of beached whales over there. Yeah, there was a few. There was a few. Yeah, you know. Okay. Uh, Highlights? Anything you want to share with us from Hawaii? Well, I got to say that I was bitching about the hoops to jump through before you go. Yeah, because you had to do the COVID test. Correct. And then, yeah. you, and then you have to go on this website and fill this out and have right. the barcode. It's right. a whole thing. Yeah. Completely worth it because it was not a pain in the ass at all at the airport. Oh, no. No. I, I couldn't believe it. was like, and by the way, if, if you're going to Hawaii, you get to you get to skip the regular baggage line because they need to talk to you a little special, but there's no one at the Hawaii counter. And then we have clear. We burned right through security. Oh, you have clear. Uh-huh. Well, uh, who doesn't? Uh, uh, I mean, uh, I'm raising my hand. <laughs> I bought it for the year and then got fired. <laughs> 
another great investment, Clear. but it has paid Is off. Is that where you put your eyeball up to something or something? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh it's get, have it at uh, like wow. baseball parks. That's it at, fancy. You mean you didn't fly private plane over there? On the way back, we did. Yes, me and the Kardashians <laughs> shared a plane. I had, I had to slum it with them, so yes, we shared So it was it. good. It was, it was very worth it. It's not too hot during the summer times oh, in Hawaii. 84 every day. See, I, I said this to you before we started, and we'll move along here because no one really cares about this nonsense, but if it's so beautiful during the summer, yeah, and it's so beautiful during the winter, yeah, which means essentially it's beautiful all year round in Hawaii, yeah. Why aren't a billion Americans trying to move there? Every, why are we not all trying? And now you do all your work from afar. Nobody goes to an office anymore. You can do your whole job from remote. Why is the world not trying to move to Hawaii? I always thought it was supposed to be like really insufferable hot uh, during the summer. No, not no, that, that's in Seattle. That's not. Oh, I mean, that, that's, it was. That's not in Hawaii. Okay. It's insufferable. 84 every day. But I, I think the barrier to entry originally was jobs. The whole the whole island is service industry essentially. Yeah, there's not so, a lot of jobs over there. Well, yeah, there's no Microsoft or Amazon. Does it? Don Ho for? need an assistant? Well, I, I worked at the pineapple bubbles. factory. I worked there nine hours ago. Well, hop in the by water. The way, did you have pineapple while you were there? I had one bite and it was in a cocktail. And how did it taste? It was fine. Okay. Why you don't like pineapple or you do? I love pineapple. Yeah. And I'm always like a little skeptical. I don't go over there very often, but when I do, I'm always like, I mean, is it really that much better? And then I take a a, a chomp of the first. And it's like a hundred times better <laughs> than the pineapple that you get over here. Better than the Florida pineapple? Oh, but better than any kind yeah. of pineapple. No, it's it's delicious. It's the best pineapple. Yeah. Yeah. We went to a Did luau. You, oh, that's my another that's another oh, question. About the luau? The pig? You the, saw the pig's face, the they, whole thing? They didn't do it. They they didn't was show there the like pig. an apple in his mouth or something? Well, no, th- th- there was the pit where he was cooked. I uh, saw the underground pit uh, afterwards, uh, but I saw no pig. I just saw the cut up Kahlua pork they had. Okay. Yeah, that, so I bullet dodged. Okay. Believe me. My wife don't want to see that either. That. I don't need to My see My daughter doesn't want to see no, it. No, I don't want to see that. No, it was no good. The luau was fun. Yeah. I enjoyed the 70-year-old guy in front of me taking pictures of those girls in the skimpy bikinis the entire time. <laughs> My wife actually pointed it out to me. The guy couldn't put his phone down. Like Michael O'Shea who was sitting in the front row and brought binoculars <laughs> to look at the cheerleaders? That's right. <laughs> Same idea. I said, you must have Michael, seven- why do you have binoculars? You're sitting in the front row. They're right there. That's right. Are you giving them some sort of an exam? <laughs> I just need a good view, Mitch. I just like a, I just like a nice view. Uh, yeah. Anyway, everything was great. Luau was fun. Yeah. I, I got a text from Alaska saying, yeah. huge lines at the airport tomorrow. Come early. Oh, they're just trying to, it's a scare but, tactic. I'm, so now I'm kind of freaking out because we're taking the- Nobody re- there. If we miss that flight, yeah. we are SOL. Yeah. Like, it's at least till the morning if they have yeah. room. And by the way, that airport closes. It's Maui? Not- are we talking straight Maui? Or do you go to Hawaii? You go Maui to the Honolulu? No, straight to Kahului Airport yeah. in, on yeah, Maui. Yeah, yeah. That's the famous airport, I think, where Whitney Houston, when you do the Whitney Houston expose yeah. on the patron show, I believe she got arrested in the Maui airport. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you might be right. But that, that airport closes. So that even if you wanted to, there is no sleeping on the no, ground. No, no sleeping on the ground. But we have no hotel. We have not, like, we are SOL. So I got there three hours early. <laughs> Well, I tried to get there two and a half, but they called and said, can you go a half hour early on the show? Yeah, Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I go to the counter. How many people were waiting in line at, at Alaska Airlines to check in when we got there? Zero. There would be zero. Yeah, of course. But walked right up. It's a scare tactic. But why? Don't buy it. Maybe because it was the red eye. Maybe they earlier in the day. They want people was... to go early. They're just trying to get you out of oh, your Oh, I wanted to kill them. I they pull... don't want you using the silverware anymore. You pulled me out of the beach for this crap? Oh, and I got to stay with a sea turtle for like 15 minutes. Now, is there a story from life. the luau? Don't you have a story to tell us from the luau? A story from the luau? Yeah, no. didn't, you, didn't you hang out with somebody from the luau who asked you a question about... Oh, your- yeah. 
Yes. Somebody did ask me a question. <laughs> Do you want to share that on the unfiltered yeah, sure. podcast or you want to let that go? So he's no, we talk about it. Is so, this somebody that you, you just happen to run into? Or? Okay, so we went to Maui with a really good couple friends of ours and their kids. I went to high school with this guy. He's in my wedding. Yeah. Great, great friend of mine. Yeah. And his wife and my wife are really good friends. Okay. okay. His wife's sister and her family also just, came just later. Just happened to be there. Yeah. Well, they were invited to stay the week after. Oh, okay. And, but it was a crossover day. We all went to Luau together. I'm with you. So her husband, yeah. who I know well, they, they invite us to the fourth every year to their house. And th- we go to Thanksgiving at their house every year. But I don't see them a ton. Like twice a year, I see them. Yeah. Very nice people. I yeah. live out in Buckley or something. They know what you do, these people? That you see twice a year? Yeah. What's, what's Hotshot doing for a living these days? They used to listen to the T-Man show and all that. But yeah, they, they, they know about I was in radio and all that. No, no. How about what do you do, what you do now? Well, they probably would have said Microsoft, but we didn't discuss my employment situation at that time. I didn't want to get into it. So I'm sitting there, and I, again, I see the guy twice a year. We don't, you know, I love him. Great guy. Yeah. And out of the blue, he goes, hey, whatever, uh, whatever happened to that Mitch Levy guy in KJR? I know you used to work with him. And at first, I thought he was, like, trolling me, like, trying to make a joke. <laughs> he goes... I mean, he goes, he goes, I used to listen to that guy It just every came morning. up randomly. Out of the blue. Complete in Hawaii. I thought it was at a joke. At the luau with the pig's <laughs> face <laughs> staring right. at you. That's right. Okay. Out of the blue. What happened to Mitch Levy? Mitch, of all the things My name said comes up at the luau. Yes, your name and comes I'm up. And I'm not invited to Hawaii. No, you are my, not. But I'm the topic of conversation. <laughs> that's, that's right. I'm glad you can all get some <laughs> kicks out of this. Yeah, he said, hey, whatever what, happened to Whatever. Him. He goes, I listen to that guy every day on the way to work. I used to love his show. He Whatever goes, happened. He, well, but, then he, but then he goes, now all I do is listen to podcasts. Oh, I'm thinking to myself, what the hell? Like, I really thought. Come I, on, this is a put on. That's what I thought. Did you look for Alan Funt? Nobody knows who Alan Funt is. Did you I look? Know who's, who's, who's the punk? Who are the punk? Uh, that would be uh, Ashton, Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher. Did you look around for yeah. Ashton Kutcher? I should have. I'm changing yes. the joke from Alan Funt to Ash, Ashton Kutcher. Yeah, so now we're up to 2001. We're up yeah. to 2001. I did Alan yeah. Funt for the old Alta Cockers in our audience. <laughs> now I'm doing Ashton Kutcher for the, right. for the younger one. I, I really thought he you was joking. Punk, but he weren't. He wasn't. he wasn't. He had no idea. And my wife kind of gave me a weird look, like, is he joking? Like, and so, so I, he goes, oh, so I told him and he goes, oh, well, how do I get it? How do I find it? Send me the link. I was like, wow, you're a huge fan of Mitch in the no morning. Idea. No clue the guy's doing And he's a friend of yours who you love to death and, he does, right. and you're working with me, right? Right. right. And he loves podcasts, turns out. It's not like an old guy who said, oh, I'll never figure that out. No. Is there a chance he's listening right now to this? There is a chance. I hope Dale is listening to this podcast. I'm going to make sure he listens now. Dale owes us to spread the word to 5,000 of his friends. That's right. Go back and click play on all of them, for God's sake. I don't us. Look, I don't know, unless I'm going to start spending tons and tons of money marketing this thing, yeah. I don't know the answer. I've told you, you and Steve, this a, a thousand times. We've yeah. had this conversation. How many times have we had this conversation? That there are there's still a lot of people out there that have no idea where Mitch went. Yep. And I don't know how to get the word to them unless I'm going to, as I said, am I going to, am I buying billboards in town? I am told I, you. Buy am a, I, am I, what am I doing? I've a, spent a little money on some marketing and some social media marketing and some yeah. Facebook this. I don't even know what I spent the money on. But how, I can't, I can't conceivably get the message to all these guys at the luau. I don't know how to do this. I don't know either, but I said buy I a, don't know how to do it. Buy we're, a 60 we're doing second, it for three years now. I know. It's not six weeks. Buy a 60-second ad on KJR. They'll take your money. I swear to you. That's how we reach them. And you run it from it's, it's 7.30. That's that's the hot time they always told me. Okay. 7.30 a.m. They will not take me. A, I would never do that. <laughs> and B, they will not take my money. Hey, everybody. Former Mitch of the Morning here. Don't forget I have a podcast. The only only thing, only purpose that would serve 
would be a great bit if I recorded me calling them, telling them <laughs> yeah. I'd like to buy some advertising time and recorded that conversation yeah. and then played it on the podcast. I think that would be that would be solid gold podcasting material. Do we know any salespeople that could push this through, maybe? Nobody can push that. Really? Through. No. Is it really? No. It's been four years. Like, can't we all just move on with our lives? That's a question and, for other people. Yeah. It's not a question for me. All right. I'm going to look into these it. Are the, the, these are the, 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 these people, they get mad if we have the same guest on. <laughs> That's true, I guess. They okay. are a little uptight. They read the riot act to guests <laughs> that appear on both places. Don't you ever go on with them again. I mean, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, look, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to sound bitter. I'm not bitter. I'm just telling, I'm giving you the facts. Right. I can't buy advertising time. They could be down to their last nickel. Yeah. Before the, the door the, the shuts. Check, <laughs> the check to Dick Fain could have bounced. Right. They won't take my money. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, God. That would be hilarious though. If you had a 60, th- those are our P1s. Those are our listeners. We got to get them. I don't know. How do we do it? But by the way, we wouldn't even get to the guy from the luau in this situation because a lot of them don't even listen to KJR anymore. They well, listen yeah. to podcasts. That's so, true. So now you want me to call Joe Rogan? Yes, please and Get do. on his. Please He'll do. take my money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, he's got plenty. He doesn't need your money. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to I do. don't know how to get the message out. I don't. It tortures me though when I hear that. There's a new patron show. And it's called the Lionel Richie, what do you call it? Retrospective yeah, or what do you want to call it? Yeah. People love it. The music you, podcast. You, you, you debuted it when? Last I, Friday night. I debuted it Friday night as I was in Maui, yes. Oh my God, people love it. They, I was, I was, and I've even listened to an hour of it already. I couldn't finish it? Well, I just one? haven't finished it yet. Oh, okay. But you will finish it. Oh, of course. Oh, okay. I'm at, I'm at uh, We Are The World. Oh, okay. You guys are t- you're discussing We Are the World. That was a I lot love the to little ta- I love the little tangents that you go on and you go on this little you start playing music from other people. Then you come back and you get back on the main road. Yeah, it's very yeah. good. It's very clever. Thank you. The whole thing is very clever and well, people love it. But I was I was curious. Lionel Richie is like more up my alley than your alley. I, I'm I'm and I'm I'm assuming that we're not going to get to the famous Lionel Richie, Mitch Levy, C.J. Silas. I'm assuming that didn't make the cut on the on the uh, on the big podcast. That did not. It was close. It was close. But no, that that did not make. When the I cut. lost my producer in Chicago and couldn't find her, mm-hmm. and found her on the on the recorded episode of of the <laughs> Oprah Show yeah. in the audience singing and dancing with Lionel Richie to Dancing on the Ceiling. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I didn't was, make it. I was running the board for you at that time. No, you weren't. Yes, I was absolutely running the board for you. When CJ was your producer, trust me, I was running the board for you. I didn't go no, to Chicago. No, it was the 96 finals is why yes. you guys were in Chicago. Yeah. Who was running your board in 96? Bob Stelton was no, the guy. No, I- no, no. I was running your board in 96. I promise you during that whole Sonic run, I was your board op. Okay. And I was pissed I didn't get to go to Chicago, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's sorry, how I I'm remember. Sorry, I'm sorry. Thank you for that. Oh, my God. Look gotta- it. We're 22 oh, minutes we are, and we okay. haven't even started the tease yet. <laughs> All right, but believe me, I was there with CJ. I remember her calling me from gas stations crying because Mitch Levy's yelling at me. Believe me, I was there. <laughs> she was in tears calling me from, like, the shell. Oh, I can't God. do it anymore. God. You mean she was calling you from the studio audience of the Oprah show when she was supposed to be working as a producer yeah. for our Fakakta radio show? That one's on her. There's no defense of that. She went into the show while she was supposed to be producing our show. Tell me, I think you, you didn't know. Find out until the show aired, right? Right. I was back in Seattle. Right. <laughs> we thought we had lost a producer. Ooh, what a feeling. <laughs> hey, there's CJ. <laughs> God. 
Oh, well, I, I, I figured you would love the Lionel really one good. more than really the because you love all that stuff. Oh, the love, love songs and the oh, Commodores. Oh, and... I love the whole story. What about Steve Lukather? Is that interesting? The guy, the guitar player who played the solo, but he also a played on bit, Beat It. A little bit. 1,500 albums. Yeah, he you, was in you Toto. Went, you went down that, that road. Yeah, okay. I'm not sure yeah. people thought that was interesting, but I, I don't know. People love this this show that I was did. worried about it because I, I don't either know, the I just, people that are li- and I don't know the, I don't know how many people are going to give it the stiff arm and go Lionel Richie I'm not interested that's what I thought yeah I, I can't answer that but the people who have listened to it yeah. seem to really really like it good really like it. it's really well done well thank you it's highly entertaining if you're a patron listen if you're not a patron join us become a Mitch Unfiltered patron by going to MitchUnfiltered.com you get all the extra shows like the Lionel Richie show and the fun football program that we got coming back. MitchUnfiltered.com. Click to become a patron. $5 a month to become a patron. And what you did miss was episode 147. And I'll thank officially Joe Pham and Brian Wheeler for filling in for you on 147, 147P. But you did miss Ginny Burton. Well, I didn't. I'm assuming you have not heard that yet since you come back. Well, you got to remember, I was only in the air for, for about 12 thir- hours. 13 hours. Yeah, it was yeah, tough to yeah, fit it in. Yeah. You saw that coming a mile away, yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah, But um, I did do some yard work the day we record, and I did yeah. hear Ginny. And I'm halfway through Isaac. I couldn't quite finish it as I pulled into your Isaac, house. Isaac, the bartender from the Love Boat. Awesome. Did you get to when Sharon comes in on the on the interview? No, I, I'm right First at... First time she's ever jumped in on an interview in her life. Right. It takes him, Are too. you on with Isaac? <laughs> of all the people you've interviewed... <laughs> I listen to him every Saturday night. I watch him every Saturday night. No, I'm I'm right at, you asked him if he really had to learn how to bartend, which I I kind of thought, I I was thinking about. Had you ever poured a drink in your life? Yeah, Yeah. which I thought was sort of a dumb question. Well, I mean, it's a a TV show. I mean, people know if it's rum rum or not. I don't know. I I can't believe he really had to bartend. But he did. Was that some method acting bullshit, or did I mean? <laughs> I did, does anyone really know what what button he's hitting on the gun? I just wanted to ask you about Ginny Burton. Oh, she was great. I think she was the best guest we've ever had. Incredible. Yeah, those pictures—they're actually kind of hard to look at for me. I can't believe what she used to person. look like at one point, and then it's the is same it, person. Is it a downer interview? It's a tough interview. It's a it's it's but heavy. It's got a, it's got a great ending. It's, you telling me that's not going to be a movie someday? Well, I kept thinking like who's going to play? There's no her? way that's yeah. not going to be a movie. She's going to get a big check one day from selling the rights. So there's no way that's not going to be a movie. And to answer your question of whether it's a downer, you asked her if she would do anything different, and you know, or do you asked her if she you think she had bad luck? Is this bad luck? Yeah. And she didn't necessarily think no. she had bad luck. No. So if if she's not bummed about it, okay, why am I? You if know, why she didn't I? have bad luck. Yeah. What she was born into. Yeah. It's not great luck, but... If that's not considered bad luck, what she was born into, yeah. that scenario that she was born into, then there's no such thing as bad luck. Then no one's ever had bad luck in their life. Okay. That's pretty bad luck. Yeah. She drew the draw. She threw the short straw. It's not a good straw to draw. No. Yeah. No. But anyway, she was great. Yeah. I great, think 147 is really good. It was. I think Isaac, the, the bartender, was really good. Yeah. And, and your absence was really good. I thought Joe Fan was a I little weak, but great. the rest was pretty I, good. I thought yeah. the fact that you weren't there was great. <laughs> Where's Joe? Hot shot sucks. Which brings us to this one. I mean, this is so long, this tease. This brings us to this show. And we're doing something a little different with this show and two more this summer. So you know this. Steve and I and Scott in Hawaii have been thinking about doing a couple of... We've done like now, I figured it out, we've done almost a thousand interviews in the three years of Mitch Unfiltered. Okay. I should say a thousand interview segments. Between the peace shows, this is 148. There's also peace shows. There's three to four interviews. You do the math, three to four interviews each time. We've done 900, a thousand interview segments. Yep. 
and there have been some that I feel like have been so interesting and so entertaining and and so intriguing on so many different levels that I know for sure that most of our audience hasn't heard every I know there are there are some people in our audience the P1s the patrons P1s, I know there are yeah. some that have listened to every single interview segment of every show and sure. for for those people I thank you I I don't know how you do it because yeah. these are long shows <laughs> I, don't I don't know how, how you, you do, do it, it. <laughs> but the vast majority haven't now I know that you're going to say but these are these are podcasts. They could go back. Well, can you really go back over 147 shows? Yeah. Are you really going to go looking at the description of every? And then how are you going to know which ones Mitch thinks are great and which ones were okay, which ones are great, right? Are you re- Who's really going to go back to, you know, dial down on your phone until you get to number 65 and say, oh, I didn't see that. I mean, come on. It's a bit of a goose chase. Yeah, There's trying no, to track something Nobody's going to do that. Okay. So I figured for three shows, this being the first one this summer, randomly this summer over the next couple of months we would take nine the nine interviews that i think steve concurs you kind of were in and out of the process are the best nine that we haven't rerun before we've rerun two or three before so i'm not going to use those okay the not like the nine best the nine most interesting for whatever reason the nine funniest the nine moving the nine touching nine interviews three shows nine interviews this is going to be show number one okay 148 is going to be show number one of the best of all right so rather than new guests and this will also give us a chance to regroup and get ready for football season and so forth and we're not going to do it every week we're going to do one this week and then in a couple weeks we'll do another one a couple weeks after that we'll do another one we're going to give you three shows with nine, the, 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 the marvelous nine, the fabulous nine interviews. Great. Okay. Yep. So the three, and you probably heard them all because you're a P1. That's right. The three for this show, and you tell me if you remember these three interviews. The Jim McMahon interview. Oh, yeah, of course. Incredible. Yep. I thought it was going to be good when we booked him. Yeah. I had no idea how good it was going to be. Yeah. You will, if you are a football fan, if you have any memories of the 80s and 90s, even if you're young, Jim McMahon, the former partying quarterback of the Chicago Bears, that famous Bears team, yeah. is interview number one. He tells stories about partying and Hallis and Ditka and Walter Payton and yeah. the fridge. And trust me, it's fabulous. Super That's, candid. Yeah. Yeah, he was great. Great stories from Jim McMahon. That's number one. Uh, number two, do you remember Coach Lavelle Moton? Go on. He's a small college basketball coach who, in the midst of the George Floyd disaster came on and shared his experiences with the police he was also a police officer or no no he's okay. not a police officer okay. but he had a couple oh, of really yes really incredible stories yeah. of things that happened and for a guy like me sitting in with my little That's silver right. spoon i was like i i, I was like oh I, I couldn't believe what i was listening going to. 10 miles under the speed limit correct. his wife yelling at him correct. to slow down correct keeping his driver's license correct. on the dashboard uh, and incredibly yes right. lavelle moton yeah incredibly moving interview with LaBelle Moton. You got to hear it, yep. okay? And then the third one is John Tesh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that I know. <laughs> That's right up my right up my alley. Now, you were around when we did John Tesh, right? Of course. John Tesh. I don't even know why we had John Tesh on. Maybe well, to promote something that he was doing. No, I think it's because we were doing the TV theme bracket, or am I wrong? And he starts going through... I, I thought that John Tesh interview had a chance when we booked him to be pretty good mm-hmm. had no idea what yeah. i was getting myself into had no idea that john tesh is funny 
had no idea that John Tesh is incredibly self-deprecating, gets the fact that people don't like him, yeah. and kind of plays to that audience. Yeah, yeah. And then he's telling the stories about how he came up with the NBA and NBC theme song. So I mean, great. It's a really good set. The, All these are really the good. The voicemail set. story is hilarious. He le- yeah. yeah. You know, I, yeah, not, don't not, give it away. No. He was awesome. Very yeah, good. Really so those good. are the three. Love it. Wow. Those are the three. Instead of new ones, if you haven't heard either Jim McMahon, Lavelle Moten, John, I, I guarantee you, I can't do this very often, <laughs> you will be on some level entertained by all three of them. Yeah. All three of them you won't want to turn off. Now, if you've heard them all, I apologize. At some point, you should replace me with some best of stuff. You know, I just... did that for the last week. Oh, you did? Okay, gotcha. <laughs> okay. So episode 148, Hot Shot, is about to begin. A quick mention of our partners post-July 4th. Zeke's Pizza from Tacoma to Bellingham, uniquely Northwest. The best craft beer selection you'll find anywhere. And by the way, you can have that favorite beer delivered to your door with pizza and salads by downloading the Zeke's Pizza app. Daniel's Broiler has a big problem. It needs employees hiring across the board from busboys to waiters to hostesses to bartenders, full-time, part-time. Even my son Max is now bussing tables. If you or someone you know is looking for a job, danielsbroiler.com or just stop into any of the locations. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions, great partners getting ready to sponsor our British Open pool next week. And Beat the Boys in the NFL is coming back this season as well for a second go-around. Begin your fireplace search and garage doors too with FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Saving money on your monthly mortgage made simple by Jordan Flowers and his team at the Kirkland office. Huge news coming from Jordan's entire team, and I can't hardly wait to spread it. But I'll keep my mouth shut for now. Unfiltered listeners are saving tons of money just by spending like five to seven minutes on the phone with Jordan. 425-250-3150. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, and experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. Evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor. Evergreen is everything wealth. Hot Shot is back. Some of our favorite interviews in the first 147 shows. This is episode 148, and it starts right now. Unfiltered. Come on. If you're going to go out and confront a pitcher, drop the bat, go be a man out there. You don't, you're not throwing – you don't take a, a weapon with you, and you certainly don't throw a bat. So one of two things was correct. He either thought better of it in that instantaneous moment – or he's the world's worst bat thrower and he should be demoted from the baseball team just because of how bad the throw was of both the bat and the helmet. Unfiltered. Are we sure Gabe Jackson is good? Yeah. We're positive we're sure. about we're positive. We're not gonna be doing the Seahawks no table in the middle of the year, and I'm gonna be busting your chops because Gabe Jackson is giving up sack after sack and not blocking anybody, and I'm wondering why we thought he was so good during the offseason. You sure that conversation is not going to take place. Mitch is unfiltered. And now, like 35 minutes into episode 148, 
we start the show. That's some tease. That's not the definition of a well, tease. Well, you and I needed to catch up. That's true. We've been, we've been, we haven't seen each other in a while. Quick recommendation, just get this out of the way for you and your wife, because yes. I, I feel like I fell flat with Mare You, did, you didn't fall flat. Well, you she's did, out. You just recommended a show that's very heavy, yeah. and we kind of like to laugh and giggle. Okay, what yeah. about something that's a dark comedy? It's it's 30-minute episodes. I think if, if you and your wife don't watch this together and enjoy it, then I'm, I'm done with recommendations. It's not a new show. It came out in 19. It's called Dead to Me. Now, Will, Will Ferrell is involved, so the writing and the dialogue's hilarious. He's not on it. He helps produce it. Yeah. The dialogue's hilarious. It stars Christina Applegate. Oh, I like Christina Applegate. And she's like kind of like Jason Bateman. Is this a movie or is this a 30 show? 30 minute episodes on Netflix. Dead to Me. Yes. And if you don't like it, you're only, you're only committed to 30 minutes, right? If you think it okay. sucks. Okay. Now, the, it's, it's dark enough where I'm in, where I'm like, oh, I got to see what happens next. It's funny enough to where my wife likes it. Okay. She doesn't like horror. She doesn't like dark stuff, really. It's actually the perfect fit for both of us. We both really love it. Dead to me. I'll text it to you later because you'll never remember. I fe- it, what's it about? Is it about somebody who, Christina Applegate, who lost her husband, and it's a mystery of how she lost her husband? She lost we, her husband. We, we watched it. The whole thing. We got about three or four episodes in, and oh. Sharon quit. Oh, really? Didn't yeah, enjoy can't, it? We can't watch it anymore. Isn't this? She has a best friend who's 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 psycho, who's psychotic, who moves in with her, and she had a she had a re, she had a hand in. She thought she had a hand in the death, the de- death of the husband in a car accident or yeah. something. I don't want to give it away, but yes, you're. Is on, that the one? That's the one. We've yeah. done that. Really? Been there, done that. It didn't stick. Didn't stick. Okay, everyone else out there. <laughs> Try dead to me. It's 30-minute episodes. We did it. We did it. We did it. I, I thought think it was so funny. We made so it about four or five, and then we just it just it got chaotic on us. I, I don't know. I don't remember why why we stopped. Huh. We're, we're, we're tough. It's tough to keep us for all these for 147, 148 shows of Mitch Unfiltered. It's right, hard. But, but Ted Lange comes on. Everyone comes <laughs> running from the mics because that was an award-winning show, The Love Boat. I mean, come on. That's we what were it young. takes. I we guess. were young. All we right. didn't have as many distractions. All right, fair Yes, enough. Dead to Me, we did Dead to it Me. It was good. We made it through the whole, we burned through the first season. It was so yeah. good, so easy. Yeah. Nah, really, nothing. That's yeah. too bad. James Marsden's in it. He's great. I don't know who that is. Great actor. Yeah. He's been all kind. He was in Westworld. And anyway, it's a great show for everybody else who likes good good TV shows. <laughs> Sorry. Enjoy, everybody. Now, get me a Love Boat episode, <laughs> and I'll be right. fine. How about Fantasy Island? <laughs> right. All right, Hot Shots back. My thanks to Joe Fan and Brian Wheeler. How I got 147p up and running with Brian, it was just... Oh, I heard that whole thing. Oh. <laughs> I, I was starting to think, like, he just doesn't want to tell you no. Yeah. I mean, that's like, what, same that's thing what Sharon Right, thought. same thing that she said. I was like, he just doesn't want to do it. Well, you're not going to believe this one. Well, well my cat's sick. <laughs> my cat's sick. Like the, I had a bad tuna sandwich. Oh, I love... Like, but you sound great. Can we just do it while you're doing <laughs> I'm in the bathroom. I can't do this. Oh. It's coming out both ends, oh, Mitch. Oh, <laughs> no. He was good, though. I loved Wheeler. He yeah, was awesome. Is he ever not good? Yeah, right. It was yeah. great episode. I had to edit it. I enjoyed it. Uh, anyway, so thank you to those uh, nice people. Joe Fan and yeah, Brian thank you Wheeler guys. That for, was great. for filling in. Are you st- sticking around for a while? You think you can hang with us for a while? Oh, I'm in Tahiti next week. I don't know okay. if I told you Tahiti. Or not, but yeah, that's okay. right. With silverware? <laughs> right. A lot of shit while you were gone, and we're already like Woo. 40 minutes into this thing, so let's get to it. I'll just throw a bunch of stuff at you. We don't have to beat it like a dead But I think there's a lot of interesting things that have happened since you... Since we were together last, the M's are winning baseball games. I'm still not sure how. Their offense has actually come alive. Yeah. As we sit here recording this on a Monday, July 5th, for a Tuesday morning release, 
in the last uh, bunch of games, 5-9-3, They're starting to score runs, and they're winning games, and they're five games over 500, and they're three behind a wild card, and they've got, well, of course they've got an all-star game participant. I think everybody has to have an yeah, all-star game. Weird rule. Kikuchi, who's uh, got like a nothing ERA in his last three starts, the left-hander for the Mariners, is in the all-star game, and the Mariners are feeling great about themselves. Do you think that should they should change that rule where every team has to have a representative? People have been asking that question for a oh, long time. Okay. Yeah, and I don't know that there's an answer. I think a lot of people would like to just do away with yes. that and just put the best guys on I there. I agree with that, yeah. But the other thing that also happens is so many guys back out, and oh. you got to replace guys, and then you got to replace the replacements, and at some point you're like, okay, can, let's just make sure that Okay. Everybody, everybody, I don't know. It's not a game that means anything anymore, I don't think. I thought there was a ramification of yeah, the, the one, winner. At one point, it was the, the winner gets the home field advantage yeah. in the world. Is it still that way? I, I don't know if or it's they still. Take, yeah, maybe it is that way. Maybe so, you, that th- way. Th- therefore, you'd want the best players, you'd think. But I guess. Anyway, All-Star Kikuchi's game. Kikuchi's in. Great. Um, guess who else is in the All-Star game for the American League? You could have literally taken me for every penny I had. If you four years ago said to me, Mitch, I'll allow you to double your life savings. You got to bet your life savings. But if you win, you double it. And all that has to happen for you to double your life savings is that Mike Zanino doesn't have to, can't make an all-star game. If you had offered me that, I wouldn't even ask Sharon or the boys. I would have said, okay. I'm going double or nothing on everything yeah. I own. I, here's everything I own. I'm putting it in the middle. Yep. Whatever it is, the house, the whatever, You're whatever. Picking out the Lamborghini colors. The Lamborghi- yeah. Yeah, I, whatever I got, that chair, this microphone. <laughs> the golden if team. Five years, golden, five years ago, if you'd said, Mitch, even money, and you don't, I, I don't even have to give up odds. Right. If Mike Zanino doesn't play in an all-star game his entire baseball career, you double your life savings. I'm in. And as of today, I have completely broken. Yeah. I'm on the street corner. That's right. Because Mike Zanino has made an all-star game. I kid you not. Did he show flashes as a Mariner, though? I mean, didn't he? He always t- had power. He's hitting 200, by the way. Gosh. two zero zero. That's what he's hitting to go to the all-star game. But, but he does have 18 home runs. He's always had big right, power. Right, right. Big, big power. Didn't he he's just look like a catcher, guy. too? The thing about Mike Zanino, and people actually know this if they listen to the old KJR days, or maybe, yeah, whatever. He was the most likable human being in the Every oh. time he was interviewed, you liked him more. Huh. You'd hear him and you'd say, okay, I can't like a player more. I can't root for a player more than that guy. And then he'd come on a couple weeks later and you liked him more. Huh. He was the sweetest and is the sweetest, most modest player you've ever, you've ever, I mean, just the nicest, most down to earth guy. You, you can't help but root from, but the guy could never hit over 200 and he still can. <laughs> he still and can. he's in the all-star game. <laughs> well, good for him. Good for Mike Zanino. And then the other guy who may still make, he's not in it yet, but I think he's going to make it. Okay. Is Taiwan Walker. The Mariners oh, right. had him last year and just said, all right, enough, whatever. No, no need for that. We'll bring James Paxton in instead. Right. How's that working out yeah. for you? Yeah. Taiwan Walker is waiting for the call from the National League. He's seven and three with a two point four four earn run average. So I think the first time, and there's news that somebody's going to get scratched. I think you know these the pitchers get scratched a lot if they if they pitch on the Sunday before the Tuesday of the All Star sure. game. They ultimately he's going to he we're going to turn on the All Star game and see Mike Zanino and Taiwan Walker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but are we used to that as Mariner fans? Aren't we used to ex-Mariners? Yes, we are. Having playoff berths. I mean, I'm not playing, but all-star berths happens all the time. And then two other baseball stories, one horrific and one 
like everything, uh, uh, the baseball commissioner could not written a, a more apt script, a better script, a more optimistic script. You realize here's another one you could have won every dollar I had, any possession that I had. Okay. Had you said to me four or five years ago, Mitch, you put all your possessions in the middle on the table yeah. and you can double them. Here's all that has to happen. Zanino doesn't have to make the can't make an all-star game. And in your lifetime, a guy can't be an all-star pitcher and hitter oh, yeah. in the same all-star game. Easiest bet you've ever made. That we'll never see that again. What is this, I wouldn't the even 40s? discuss it with her. Yeah, right. Here, here's right. all my cars, all my houses, right. whatever. Here's my whatever you want. Here's I my know. clothes, my jeans, whatever, whatever I got. Jeans. Whatever I got. Yes. My golf clubs, <laughs> my, my golf memberships, whatever you can need. I'm happy. There's just because there is no way no. in our lifetime a player will ever be good enough as both a. First of all, I can't even imagine that there would be even a pitcher and a hitter. But no way there'll be a pitcher that's good enough a pitcher and good enough a hitter to play in the same All Star game as both. He's going to do it. Incredible. Shohei's going to do it. Yeah. Is he in the home run contest? Yes, he is. He's got 31 home runs already. And before he gave up, unfortunately, he gave up seven runs in two-thirds of an inning the other night against, I think, the the Red Sox or the Yankees. His ERA was 2.58 going into that game. So at five days ago, he had a 2.58 ERA, one of the best pitchers in the league, and 31 home runs at the plate. And he was good. And the the All-Star game coaches have both said – He's going to pitch, and he's going to hit. Wow. And he's gotten the um, the blessing from his manager. Sometimes managers don't want their guys to play. Sure. Yeah, yeah. They don't do, don't pitch my guy. We yeah. need him for the Madden of the Angels, the manager of the Angels, has said, I want him to hit. I want him to pitch. I want you to showcase. He called the Tampa Bay manager to say, hey, you have full range. Use him. Showcase my guy. Because this is something completely different. So, I, w- I wonder if he's going to inspire you go. younger players to maybe try to try to go that route. I mean, easier said than done, obviously. But there's got to be some players who were good enough hitters in high yeah, school and college yeah. who also pitched. Of course. So I wonder if he's going to like, aren't ins- all the great players in little league and, and yeah. at 15, 16, 17, both hitters and yes. pitchers. Usually right? the best pitchers also the best. But at some hitter. point, some coach gets a hold of you and you said says, you're going to either do this right. or you're going to do that, and we're going to concentrate on making you unbelievable at that, and we're not going to worry about the other thing. It looks like you right? can do both. I guess that guy never got to show Otani. <laughs> That's right. He never did. Or Thank he, God. Or, or he spoke English, and Otani <laughs> didn't understand him, so they never happened. By the way, I hate to rub salt, but didn't the Mariners really make a play for this for that guy? I mean, I don't remember. People are writing that. I, I don't remember. I'm sure they did. I remember them being in the hunt. And I thought, because they had Ichiro, I yeah. thought they had the whole connection, and then... Boy, he could have but been a he, mariner. No, but he wouldn't have done this. <laughs> he would have been in Tacoma. <laughs> he would have had an eighty RA and he right. would have hit one sixty. Right. As a member of the Mariners. And then people so would have been bitching that they're hitting him. And then there's a Trevor Bauer story, which is the exact opposite. I mean, Shohei Otani, honest to goodness, is exactly what baseball needs right now. You're right. Exactly what sports needs. Exactly what the world needs. You're right. A Japanese born player coming over here and dominating on both the mound and at the plate. I mean, it's like Disney World. It's, yeah. it's it's incredible. You couldn't write a better one. And then the flip side is the Trevor Bauer story is exactly the worst thing that baseball could, needs right about now and that the world needs right about now. I'm literally standing in flip-flops in paradise yeah. when I see your text about the story. I didn't know about it until you sent it. Really? Yeah. And I wrote, what are we doing with this? Yeah. What are we doing with this? So I got, I got to read that horrific. Do we want to just skip over it and just say... This is not this is not a good situation for anybody. It's not a good situation for baseball, for Trevor Bauer, for the young woman who's involved. 
I don't know how this is going to be resolved. Here's what I do know. That this, the, and you, you, you've seen the pictures. I've not seen the pictures. I have seen the pictures, yes. Of you've her seen face. the pictures. Yeah, it's horrific. Yep. It's awful. Yeah. He's got an explanation. It's unbelievable that he's got an explanation. He's got an explanation, and, I, and I, I'd imagine that we wouldn't be fair, the two of us in front of a microphone, if we didn't at least say, well, let's just see how it plays out. Let's give the guy his pulpit and his time yeah. to explain what happened. And, and he kind of has, but this is just an awful story. His reps have made a statement. I don't know if you read it. Go ahead. In an effort to minimize any distraction to the Dodgers organization and to the teammates, the reps wanted to make it clear that administrative leave is neither a disciplinary action, nor does it in any way reflect a finding in the league's investigation. Correct. Okay, And he gets paid. They also asserted that the relationship between Bauer and the accuser was wholly consensual and that any allegations that the pair's encounters were not 100% consensual are baseless, defamatory, and will be refuted to the fullest extent Correct. of the law. Correct. So here we go. So do you want to... Is there anybody in our audience that don't doesn't know the story, or does it matter? Should we just say if you don't know the story, go read it, or should we should we describe in a nutshell what happened I, I, or what the allegations are? I think people can read the for the, the gory details for themselves. It's, Relationship to people. The, the, first of all, everybody know Trevor Bauer is one of the great pitchers in the league. I think he's the reigning Cy Young Award winner. He won it. Not. He won it two years last, ago. Last, last, year. last year, and okay. then he signed with the Dodgers as oh, a free he's agent. Got, he's like a, he's like a hundred million dollar hundred million dollar man, right? Forty million a year, I think. I saw. Forty million dollars a year. Not too bad. Relationship between him and a woman. They meet online, I think. Yep. And it becomes a sexual relationship. There were two encounters, and there's allegations that on his side that she wanted rough sex and I don't know how deep you want me to get into this yeah. and then she ended up having to go to the hospital and she claims that she needs a restraining order and he claims what's going on she's she's texted me since these two incidents and the pictures have come out and it, it looks terrible yeah. and th there's lots of injuries there were skull injuries and there were uh, allegations of things that happened while she was unconscious yep. and then he says she wanted to be unconscious I mean he she he, it's a, it's a he said, she says, he says he can produce, uh, not tweets, texts from her. You know, it's just, um, and I, don't, I don't know how far you want me to go down the line. Well, there's an 84-page temporary restraining order application that okay. you can find online filed by the victim's okay. attorney if you're interested in reading it. But she claimed okay. that two meetings with Bauer started as consensual, but then turned into a violent attack, essentially. So and it's hard to look at the pictures you say and come to any other conclusion than... This is a terrible, terrible injustice. It's a, right? just an awful it's situation. It's impossible to 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 think that he's innocent of what he's being accused of by looking at those those pictures. It's, I have not seen the pictures. I mean, you can judge for yourself, but for me, okay. it was it, they were tough to look at. And uh, okay, yeah. But again, his his reps claim it's completely consensual, and I guess we'll have to find out what happens with this. But it's it's ugly. It's so ugly. So I figured rather than finish episode or or segment one and go to the three interviews yeah. on that note. I figure let's do one that's a, a, a more fun controversy. Okay. A controversy, but All let's right. end segment one on a more fun. Uh, is it fun or no? More fun controversy. Yes. And that's Phil Mickelson. Now, so, should we should we go there before we end? I love this. Well, I, I don't I don't know this. Oh, you don't know this. I, I meant to read it, and I forgot. Oh, yeah, I can give you the thumbnail. This is a lot more comfortable for me to describe <laughs> what happened here right. with Phil Mickelson <laughs> than Trevor Bauer and the female. Okay. All right. Phil Mickelson. Age-old gambler. Do you know that? I mean, I don't know what you... I know you know Phil Mickelson. Yeah, yeah. You were in golf leagues. You won golf leagues. Oh, I sure You did. always tell me how much you know about golf. Oh, the Pat O'Day Cup. Yeah. yeah my, twice? My, twice. Your name's on it my twice? My name's on it twice, okay. yeah. 
Do you know that Phil Mickelson's kind of a legendary gambler? He likes to gamble on the golf course. I don't he makes know that. Huge sports wagers. Okay. At one point, many years ago, he used to he used to say to friends, "I'm the best sports gambler." He like he knows more than anybody else. <laughs> of course. Now yeah. I'm going to try to present this without my anti Mickelson flair, but you're you're going to say that's too late. You yeah. already done it. I, I, he decides he's going to play in last weekend's PGA Tour event in Detroit. Okay. And Detroit's PGA Tour event is kind of a fledgling event. It's kind of a newish one. Hasn't okay. been around for a long time. They haven't gone to the PG. They haven't gone to Detroit in a long time. So a lot of the great names don't go. It's at a difficult spot in the schedule. It's Detroit. It's all you have to see. The, the, <laughs> I mean, I didn't know they had a golf course. The, <laughs> The U.S. There. Open has just been played. The British Open's coming. So you don't see a lot of the great, great names okay. go to the PGA event. And yet, it's a great golf course, and it's a fun tournament. Okay. But in the first few years, not a, okay. Phil Mickelson decides, I'm coming. Easy. Does and he, that's a bit, and, I, and while I'm anti-Phil, yeah. I am anti-Phil, that's a huge thing. Okay. It's a huge thing for the tournament. That's trying to get big because that's everything to these tournaments. Right. Trying to get names. I mean, it's such a small tournament that Jim Nance and Nick Faldo on CBS, they take the week off. Oh. And they wow. put like understudies on the broadcast. The I B mean, team. The B team. Gotcha. So do you think there's part of Phil who says, eh, it's a small feel? I Maybe I'll help him. I, well, no, I was thinking I got a pretty good shot of winning. No, this. no, no, no. It's no. not that. No, okay. no, no. Because all these guys are great. All okay. the guys that are playing are great. Okay. Now he's not thinking about winning. He thinks he can win wherever he goes. I gotcha. But there may be a part of him that thinks, you know, I can help these people out. Yeah. I can help the tournament out. You know, and these tournaments, they generate, you can say what you want about golf. They, they, they generate a lot of charitable money. Each tournament in every city, a lot of the money goes filtering back into the, into the community. Okay. So he's probably thinking, ah, let me do these guys a solid. I'm going to go play Detroit. Never sure. played it before. On the Monday of the tournament week, a huge expose in the local Detroit newspaper is written about an old gambling debt that actually he was owed, that he had a bet with an old Michigan bookie oh. for $500,000, and the bookie stiffed him, and the bookie was, like, connected to the mob. Right. And these were, oh, th these were documents that were unsealed. <laughs> these are court documents. This is stuff that was in the court but was unsealed in 2018 that apparently the Detroit News just got a hold of. So they ran this whole big thing. Oh. Mickelson gets stiffed. By mob connected bookie for a five hundred thousand dollar bet twenty three years ago. Jeez, what do you do when you when a bookie stiffs you? Go to the cops. I mean, <laughs> right? What do you do? You're just screwed. And by the way, you're gonna go start pushing people around in the so, mafia. So, 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 <laughs> I mean, on one hand, you could say, well, what does he have to be ashamed about? He doesn't owe somebody else five hundred thousand dollars. They owe him five hundred. Yeah, but. There's the gambling part of it. It's a little seedy. The bookie, it's illegal. It's it's. He was working with a guy named Dandy Don oh, Deserano. Of course, <laughs> of course he was. And it's a good. Go read the story. Okay. It's actually a very interesting story for guys like me. You don't like Mickelson. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's saying to himself, "What the, what, what the hell?" Right. Great timing, guys. You put this in on the Monday of the yeah. tournament week when I'm coming to play. Ugh. Thanks a lot. Yeah. You just and his agent starts writing tweets and he's right. I'll write. I'll read you. He writes. Took place 23. This is Phil. Okay. Took place 23 years ago. Had I not come here to Detroit, they would have never run this story. My mistake making the effort to be here and have my foundation look into ways to help the local community. Didn't even think of the opportunistic Rob Snell's in the area would try and take advantage of me like that. And then he comes out after the first round, and he says, I'm never coming back. Ugh. I'm never coming back. 
Why would I come back? Right. And then people were like cheering for me. A lot of the fans were going crazy for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Then after the second round, he was like, oh, maybe I'll come back. <laughs> I'll tell you what. He says, I'll tell you what. And this is the part that just, this is so Phil. If you want Mitch's, this is the part. He says something like after the second round, after all of, somebody asked him, after all that admiration that you felt on the golf course in the second round, are you still never coming back to Detroit? He's like, I'll tell you what, if everybody does a good deed, if 50,000 people does, do, if all of you do a nice deed between now and next year, Ugh. I'll think about coming back. That, that's to what? me, that, if, that's not, if that's not the yeah. PR machine that is Phil Mickelson. Right, right, the BS but, machine. But anyway, I don't know how you feel about this. <laughs> it's an old, old story from 23 years back. The documents were unsealed in 2018, and the Detroit News ran the story. Now, I will have you know that I've actually done a little research on the guy who wrote the story. And this is a very, this is like a, he's not even a sports writer. He's like a, like a federal investigative reporter. Okay. I mean, he, he's an award-winning. This is not like a fly-by-night 18-year-old who not wrote some this hack story. trying to make no, a name for no. themselves. This yeah. guy apparently it, it, within the, the industry is well-known and okay. very much well-respected. Proper journalist. Proper journalist. <laughs> yeah. But the timing is oh, the timing. God. Now, do you think they did that? I mean, they did that on purpose that they – or were they just going to release it anyway, and they don't know if he's co- they don't care about golf and know when he's coming? Can't believe that if if he weren't coming, that that would have run. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it would have. Maybe Rob Snell's would say, no, no, we were running the story. I got a hold of this stuff, and and I wanted to. Uh, this is a story, right? We were going to run it. Anyway. We we're going to run it anyway. But but they, but then they know. Well, look, Phil's coming. We can get a comment from him. Let's let, let's wait till he gets here. But when did you say he announced he was coming? Like how much? Well, Notice? They, do they do uh, they have to oh, give a couple of weeks, couple of months? Uh, you only have to give like ten days, but I think okay. he he had marked it down in the schedule. I'm coming. Okay. Yeah. And I, I just I love the controversy. <laughs> I love this. I, I, this is so much more fun than the Trevor Bauer controversy. Oh, yeah. That I wanted to end segment one with this. Well, I'm glad you did because the Trevor Bauer stuff is really yeah. ugly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Nice. I'm glad that he has a bookie. Good for him. Do you well, think he, he still did. does. Oh, no, Dandy Don. <laughs> Let me get his name again. Yeah. I love this. Dandy Don Deserano. Perfect. I mean, what are you? Are you going to go to Dandy Don's house? And Phil so- wanted to get a bed in on like the Super Bowl. He called Dandy Don Deserano. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to get his bed in, five hundred grand. Did I say that? Yeah, yeah. Five hundred dollar, five hundred thousand dollar bet. Yeah, yeah. That he won. That I mean, it's hard to win bets. You need to be paid off when you win. Yeah, right. You go tell Dandy Don you need your money right now. <laughs> go start putting your finger in his face and see what happens to you. <laughs> All right, three uh, three of our favorite nine interviews from the first 150 shows, uh, first three years of Mitch Unfiltered, and then the other stuff segment. Hey, hey, let's catch up again with Dan Black, the president of Zeke's Pizza. Dan, our family's back going out to restaurants. It seems like there's a wait everywhere we go. How's Zeke's Pizza doing? You feeling the hustle and bustle? Hey, Mitch, yeah, we're the same. We're busy. We get busier by the day. People are happy to be coming out of COVID. They're going out and eating everywhere. And so, yeah, we're like most places. It's great to be opening up and we're busy. And you told us about the new location in Bellingham, which opened Memorial Day weekend. How are the early returns and what's next to pop up for Zeke's Pizza? Uh, It's been great up there. We talked about it before. We thought Bellingham was really going to embrace Zeke's. They have. It's been busy up there since we've opened. So it's been super fun. Uh, and then Seward Park and Mill Creek are the next two coming. Seward Park and Mill Creek would be locations number what? 
Yeah, that's good. Uh, I'm losing track myself. 20 and 21. <laughs> no, you're not. 20 <laughs> and 21. And is there a beer, a summer beer for the black family? Of course, the members of the black family that are of age and a summertime pizza that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, there is. We actually have a great beer with an interesting backstory. We have a lot of great women entrepreneurs in the Zeke system and Five of our franchise owners are women, and they actually got together and made a beer with Black Raven Brewing out of Redmond. Uh, so we have this really great, crushable summer lager called Stellar's J. That's what I've been drinking. And then uh, our summer seasonal pies will start rolling out mid-July, so that's what we'll be ordering. Look, if you're a fan of Mitch Unfiltered and you like these podcasts and you'd like these podcasts to continue for a long, long time, and it's pizza or beer, great beer that you're craving, go to one of the great Zeke's locations, soon to be 21, or download the Zeke's Pizza app because Zeke's Pizza is homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. to Peyton. Peyton wants to throw it again. Nobody open. Now Peyton back to McMahon. Touchdown. Moorhead, one of the tight ends in motion. Perry, what drives through and following behind is McMahon for the touchdown. It almost looked like an option play. And there you see McMahon head-butting with his offensive line. so close to our 100th episode of Mitch Unfiltered. We've had some great opportunities to chat with some of the most colorful personalities in sports history, and our next guest fits the bill. Two-time All-American quarterback at BYU, member of the College Football Hall of Fame, one of the indelible faces of perhaps the most talked-about NFL team in history. Here's the always fun Jim McMahon. Jim, thanks so much for joining us on Mitch Unfiltered. Hey, no worries, Mitch. Glad to be here. I love hearing the old stories, but before we get there, so many of your peers from that generation are struggling both physically and mentally. How's Jim McMahon doing? Well, uh, for the last 12 years, I've been doing fairly well because I've, I've got a doctor in New York that I go see regularly. Uh, I get an adjustment on my neck. It helps my uh, spinal fluid flow properly. And uh, when it starts backing up is when I start having a lot of problems. But uh, lately, it's been okay for the last three months. That's good. It's good to hear that you're doing all right. Before I ask you to reminisce about the, the 85 Bears for the 10 millionth time, I want to go back to BYU. A lot of people in our audience are not old enough to remember or have forgotten. You were the punter at BYU before you were the quarterback. What kind of punter was Jim McMahon? Well, I, I punted. Uh, I made the varsity squad as a freshman by being the punter. So I, I was a third-team quarterback at the time. Really wasn't ready to play college football, but I, I, I could kick the ball. So I, I did that my first, actually, first two years until I got on the field. And then uh, once I started playing QB, they didn't want to let me kick anymore. So. <laughs> Did you ever throw the ball from the punting formation? No, no, they wouldn't let me do that. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't really have to punt much my freshman year. Our our quarterback was Gifford Nielsen, who was a senior at the time. Yeah, he was a you know a Heisman candidate, and then he he got hurt in the I believe the fourth game of the year. So then Mark Wilson took over. Yeah, and uh, had had an incredible year, and uh, and so I didn't have to kick a whole lot, but. 
It was just nice being able to play on the varsity as a freshman. You weren't too shabby when you got your chance to play quarterback, one of the great players in college football. I was uh, I was reading some articles earlier today to get ready for the interview, and for some reason, and I should remember, I'm embarrassed that I don't remember, but for some reason, I don't remember the 1980 Holiday Bowl that I was reading about. You guys are down 45 to 25 to Eric Dickerson, the Pony Express and SMU with four minutes to go. Is that right? Yeah, that was about right. And then what happened? Uh, well, then we, I started playing better. <laughs> I, I, I had a bad first half. I didn't. You know, I was I was forcing a lot of stuff, and then uh, you know we had a tough time stopping. You know, uh, Eric Dickerson and Craig James, they, they ran up and down the field on us that night. But in the second half, we started rolling a little bit. And then with four minutes to go, like you said, we were down 20. You know, we get the ball. We're, we're starting to march. And uh, I believe that was a series that we had a fourth down play. Our coach sent in the punting team. And uh, I told everybody to get in the huddle. And they said, oh, the punting team's coming out here. I said, well, we ain't kicking this ball. <laughs> Why kick? You're, you're down 20. You know, if you kick then, you have no shot. Uh-huh. So uh, Coach Edwards had to burn a timeout because I wouldn't get off the field. And then uh, <laughs> when I came over and chatted with him, um, oh. basically said, what are you guys doing? Are you giving up? I said, we, we kick here. We got no shot at all. So he looked at the coordinator, and the coordinator was looking at him like, hell, I don't know what to do. I said, oh, I'll take care of this. I mean, I went back in the huddle and just said, look, you know, we got uh, – I'm just going to call the play at the line of scrimmage. I, I gave us a very basic formation. And uh, for some reason, they, they were not covering our, our All-American tight end, Clay Brown. It was, I believe it was fourth and two. But I knew I could throw a little out to Clay for a first down, so that's what I did. We got the first down, went on and scored. And then uh, we tried an onside kick. We got it back, and I went down and scored again. Uh, we tried another onside kick. We didn't get this one, but uh, our defense finally held up and, and stopped them. Fourth down, they were punting, and we blocked their punt. So we get the ball, I believe, around their 40, 40 or 45-yard line right? with about 18 seconds left in the game. Right. And uh, we had time for about three plays. The first play, I went back and just I threw it out of the end zone, actually. I shouldn't have never thrown that ball, but – then the second down play, uh, I tried to just pick up a little chunk of yardage and I had my tight end coming across the middle. And just as I was about to throw the ball, I see the the cornerback from the other side of the field had, had fallen off his man and was going to, if I threw Clay a good pass, it was probably going to be picked off. So I threw it low and behind him. So that wasn't, so now there's three seconds to go. Yep. And uh, get in the huddle and I said, you know, we practice this play Every week, we, it was just called save the game pass. It's basically everybody just runs to the middle of the field. And if you can catch it, catch it. If not, tip it up. And so um, I went back and, and just heaved it as high and as far as I could throw it. You know, it came down in the end zone with Clay Brown was surrounded by about four of the SMU players who all went up for the ball. And none of those guys actually touched the ball. The ball went right into Clay's hands. And uh, he caught it. And that tied the game, and we sent our kicker in to kick the extra point to win it with no time left. So that was uh, it was it was a lot of fun to be able to come back and win that game, not only to win it, but that was the first bowl game that BYU had ever won. So really? it was good to be a part of that. Forty six to forty five. Is that still was that the the most exciting game, high school, college, or pro that you ever you ever played in, Jim? Uh, well, it was definitely one that, you know, everybody thought that the game was over. I mean, the stands were pretty much empty by the time the game was over because people were filing out. Yeah. 
thinking it was over, but it was a, it was a hell of a comeback. You know, it was nice to be able to finally start throwing the ball the way I was supposed to do it and get a win for us. You know, like I said, it was the first win BYU ever had in the bowl game. So, uh, and then, you know, the following year we go back and we win by one point again against Washington State. So that holiday bowl was pretty exciting for a lot of years. Yeah, it was. BYU was always a mainstay of the holiday bowl. The great Jim McMahon is uh, good enough to tell some old stories. You're drafted by the Bears, fifth overall, I think, in 82. You felt like you could be more spirited, more free-spirited than you were in college. How'd that go over the first year or two with Ditka and Hallis at the beginning, Jim? Well, I wasn't I wasn't all that impressed with Hallis when I first met him. I don't think I only talked to him that one time or maybe twice. The day I got drafted, I, I flew into Chicago. It was Coach Dick's first year there as well. You know, I just took a three-hour flight from Utah to Chicago. I had a 45-minute limo ride to the facility, mm-hmm. and there happened to be beer in the limo. So, <laughs> you know, after four hours on the road, I, thought I was a little parched, so I had a couple. <laughs> And then as we got to the uh, facility, I noticed there was still a couple left. So I grabbed, I grabbed them and stepped out of the limo, and I didn't, didn't realize there was going to be press everywhere. And so they made a big stink about me showing up with a beer. And, and you know, it wasn't like I was 18. It was, I was almost 22. So yeah. I didn't see the big stink about that. And then I, as I was walking in the facility, Coach Ditka was there. And I just said hello, and and uh, he just kind of looked at me and saw the beard and laughed and and, and went on his way. But then I had to go see Coach uh, George Hallis, and I'm sitting outside of George's office for almost an hour, just looking at the secretary. And finally, I said, uh, "Hey, wh- what am I doing here?" <laughs> and she goes, "Oh, Mr. Hallis would like to talk to you." And I said, "Well, you know, when is that going to happen?" You know, I had a couple guys that were on the Bears already, friends of mine, Kenny Marjoram, Keith Van Horn. And uh, they wanted to take me out to celebrate. And so I wanted to get rolling out of there. And, and so she said, well, Mr. Hallis is taking a nap. And I said, well, wake him up. I said, I got things to do. You know. And so when I finally go in there, he's, he's sitting there in this big chair and he's, he's got, already got a contract. I, I, I was just drafted, you know, five, six hours earlier. And he's got a contract for me already saying this is the most money he's ever offered a quarterback or any, any rookie. And then he started telling me, well, you, you know, you, you're too short. You have a bad eye. Your arm suspect. He goes, maybe you should go to Canada. <laughs> Those were his first words to me. So I'm, I wasn't real happy with the guy right out of the gate. So, and I just said, hey, why would you draft me, old man? You know, who's on your scouting department? You know, why am I here then? And so he, he shows me this contract. I looked at it. It was just garbage. And I just rolled it up and threw it at him. I said, I'm not signing this. I walked out. Because the USFL at the time, if anybody remembers the USFL sure. league, sure. that was coming in in 1982 as well. And um, George Allen, the former Redskins coach, was, was going to be coaching the Chicago team. And I knew I had a meeting with George in the next day or two. So I went to that meeting for, for George uh, Allen. And uh, he offered me a great deal. And I said, George, you, you put this in writing. I'll sign it and play for you guys. But I, at the time, there was, a, there was this deadline that there was never before, never since, that said uh, the NFL said, if you don't sign by July 15th, you, don't, you can't play that year. Yeah. And that's when I knew the NFL was full of crap because two guys, Marcus Allen and Darren Nelson, both uh, from the Pac-10, they, they didn't sign before the 15th and they got to play. Right. So I, I learned a lot in that, that rookie year. But any, anyway, I ended up having to sign the uh, contract that I had wadded up and threw back at George Howard <laughs> because 
George Allen never even came up, came with uh, oh. that deal in writing. Oh, gosh. That's funny. All right. Before we get to 85, Jim, uh, the 84 se- season ended with a violent game against the Raiders, I think it was, in Los Angeles. Remember that game? Oh, it was in Chicago. Yeah, it was in I remember, Chicago. Remember it clear. I, I still feel it every day. <laughs> Tell everybody about it. Well, they they were just coming off the Super Bowl victory. They had a good football team, and um, we were pretty good. That and we we started coming together the latter part of '83, so we knew we were going to be pretty good in '84. And uh, I think we were like seven and two when we played the Raiders. I know our defense put out two of their quarterbacks, and then they they got me uh, right at the end of the second quarter. I was running and tried to. I was trying to make a move on the safety, and I was so fast that the the, the nose tackle caught me from behind and grabbed my shoulder and just kind of whipped my body. And as my body twisted, the uh, the safety was already airborne, and his, his face mask hit me right in the kidney oh. and tore the bottom third of it off. Oh. And so, uh, I, yeah, I bled for a while. Uh, actually, I was in the ICU for a couple of weeks after that, but. Oh. Yeah, so that, I still feel that every day. You know, it still functions. It's still, uh, you know, every, every time I get a CAT scan, people say, what the hell is that on your kidney? Because it looks like a big brain on the side. But I guess that's just scar tissue. Wow. But it still works. You know, they, they were going to take it out. And had they taken it out, my career was over in 1984. But I told the doctor, no, you're not taking it out. You know, just give me the morphine. Leave me alone. It'll heal. And I bled for I bled from Sunday to Tuesday night. Oh. They came in Tuesday, gave me a transfusion. And they said, uh, look, you're, you're dying. You know, we're going to have to operate. And I said, well, I said, just give me to the morning. I told him, I said, I feel it healing. <laughs> and uh, you feel overnight, this thing basically just, just closed itself up. Really? I mean, so I know there's, there's somebody looking out for me. They didn't want my career over at, uh, in 1984. So. Well, it was a good thing. <laughs> the, Bears, the Bears have probably never won a Super Bowl if I hadn't come back. That's right. Okay, so 1985. So you say you were you were good at the at the end of '83. You were obviously good in '84. You guys lost to the 49ers. Yeah, we ended up, you had a, a, you, yeah, we ended up going to the the uh, championship game. NFC Championship game with right. Steve Fuller. Yeah, and uh, he did a great job when he was filling in for me. Yep. We lost to the to the Niners then, but then '85. You know, that's everything kind of fell into place. Did you know? And I know you've been asked these questions a billion times, and I'm sorry for making it a billion and one. Did you know? I mean, you knew you were going to be good in 85, but you couldn't have known you were going to be, like, all-time historic good. At what point, do you remember, like, an aha moment? Maybe it's the second, the third, the fourth game, or did you feel that all along, Jim? No, we've, you know, we had, we made that our mission after the 84 season that, you know, 85 was going to be our year. Everybody was, uh, you know, itching to get back to camp and, and uh, set – set people straight we were very disappointed in our nfc championship game and uh we wanted to prove that we were a lot better so we came back and then uh, i think the the big turning point was might have been week number three i mean we were two and oh uh we went up to play the vikings who were one and one at the time it was on a thursday night and it was uh i had been in traction for a couple of days in the hospital from the week before and i was not supposed to play in that game dick has said because I got out of hospital the day before. Uh, I got out on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you're not playing tomorrow night. I remember. And so yep. for the whole first half, I'm watching the game, and I'm things that, you know, we, we just weren't the same team. You know, I, I don't know what it was. I just felt that, you know, that they were not – we weren't the Bears that we were the first couple of games. And I, so I got in Dick's ear, and I just said, hey, man, you better put me in. We're going to lose this game. 
And for the rest of the first half and most of the third quarter, I was uh, in his face going, hey, you know, you better put me in. And and, and I still believe to this day the only reason he put me in the game is get him out of his face because <laughs> I was bugging the hell out of him. And, uh, you know, I came in and, and the, the first play I called in the huddle was it was an option option screen pass. And um, oh, actually, it wasn't an option. It was a it was a screen to the fullback. Yeah. And as I <laughs> I had so many muscle relaxers and painkillers in me, I almost fell on my face coming away from the center <laughs> on that first play. And they were blitzing. So blitz, you know, it's man to man defense. So somebody's going to run right to the fullback. So as I regained my balance, I just happened to look downfield, and there's Willie Gall out running his man off like he's supposed to do on a screen pass. And he's ten yards behind him. So I just threw it to him. Wow. We scored. And everybody's excited. I come off the field. Vic is yelling at me. He says, what the hell play did you call? And I said, well, I, I actually called the screen, man. He goes, well, why'd you throw it to Willie? I said, because he was open. <laughs> and we scored. What's the problem? And so, uh, you know, we ended up getting the ball right back uh, in a turnover. And then the second the second play was um, a bootleg, we call it. You know, fake can come around the end and I'm supposed to hit the back in the flat or the tight end coming across. And uh, I ended up throwing it to the wide receiver who, who replaced the uh, the weak safety. Because I, I told the wide receiver, look, the only guy who can stop this play is the weak safety. If he jumps the tight end, you replace him. Right. And sure enough, the guy jumps the tight end, and, and there was nobody in the middle of the field. So easy touchdown there. And then, you know, a few plays later, uh, we get the ball back and we score again. So we ended up winning that game. But I think that was the turnaround. Sure. And it let everybody know, look, you know, we, we do have an offense you know, everybody kept saying, oh, we were, we were a defensive team, but we were pretty damn good on offense as well. You sure were. 11 All-Pros on that team. 11 All-Pros on that team. Do you remember Do you remember when Ditka put in the fridge in the backfield for the first time? Was that in San Francisco? Where was that, and what was the idea? Do you remember talking about that, or was that a surprise to you? No, it was. Uh, we had practiced it. That all came about because in the 84 championship game, Bill Walsh put, uh, I believe it was Guy McIntyre, yeah. who was one of their guards, yeah. in the backfield late in the game, and they just ran it down our throats. And that was Mike's way of getting back at Bill Walsh, uh-huh. just putting the fridge in, in the game at the end. Because we went back out to San Francisco in 85 and beat him pretty good out there. Yep. Fridge got in late in the game, and, and uh, I think he got a yard on his first carry. So that was the whole start of that Fridge Circus. Yeah. It was just to get back at Bill Walsh. Did you throw to him at all? I think you threw a touchdown pass to him, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I threw a touchdown pass to him in Green Bay. Um, you know, he scored a couple running touchdowns during that season, caught a pass. He was even supposed to throw one in the Super Bowl. We had a play where he was going to roll out and throw the ball. And we actually called that play, and oh, God. thank God he didn't throw it. He ended up getting tackled for a loss. But, yeah, it, it turned into quite a circus. A lot of people, he was a hell of an athlete. Yeah, I mean, for, yeah. for, for yeah, her, it was so, you know, to be 300 and something pounds, at his, he was only like 6'1", maybe 6'2". Yeah. He was just basically round. I mean, it was, and it's hard to tackle a guy like that. And plus, he could move. I mean, he was pretty damn quick. He was a good athlete when he weighed about three fifteen, and then once he ballooned up, it was you know he could only play one play every five minutes. People were so sad that Walter didn't get a chance to score in the Super Bowl, and Fridge did. Was too much made of that, Jim? Well, I think so. I think at the time, nobody really realized it because you know the game was a blowout. But uh, New England's focus that whole week was. You know, we stop Walter Payton, we win. 
and that's what their focus was. I mean, every every time he carried the ball, he carried it, I think, around 27 times in the game. I, I don't know exactly, but every time he went anywhere, he had five or six guys chasing him. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. that's what opened up the rest of the, the team. Matt Suey had a big day. Uh, Emery Moorhead. Uh, Willie caught a couple big balls. Uh, but that was their focus. You know, we, we gave it to him down on the goal line a couple times. And uh, it was – he couldn't – it was nowhere near the goal line. Yeah. I think the first time that I scored, it was an option play. I faked the ball to Fridge, and it was either me or Walter. And as as I came out to the end of the line of scrimmage, the end guy just ran right to Walter. So I had to turn it up yeah. and scored. And then the other time I scored, we were on, the, like, the half-yard line. So that was a no-brainer to do a sneak, quarterback sneak. Yeah. But, we, you know, we thought we'd have plenty of time to get them in the end zone. You know, we came in at halftime saying, you know, let's put 100 points on these guys. Dick was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I think by the early in the third quarter, most of the starters were on the bench already. So Yeah. So that was it. Uh, the great Jim yeah. McMahon is with us. A couple more for you, Jim. Uh, as a long-suffering Dolphins fan, I'll never forget December 2nd, 1985. I know that you'll never forget it. It still remains as one of my favorite all-time sports events. How disappointed were you guys that you didn't get a chance? You know, a lot of people don't remember, I do, that the Dolphins were one win away in the AFC Championship game of setting up one of the greatest rematches in all-time sports history in the Super Bowl. Did you guys... Were you guys waiting for that? Were you looking forward to that? Did you care that it was the Patriots? Did you want the Dolphins in the Super Bowl? I would have liked to see the Dolphins personally because I didn't get to play that Monday night. It was another one of those situations where I missed one day of practice the week before. So Dick has said, oh, you're not playing Monday night. And I said, why? He said, well, because you missed Wednesday's practice. I'm like, yeah, but I practiced the last three days. And he said, no, you're not, you're not going to play. I was like, you know what? The hell with this. I'm, you know, we're twelve and zero already. We're in the we're in the playoffs. We've already secured home field advantage. It would have been nice to go undefeated, but you know, at the time, the Dolphins, I think, they had the worst rush defense in the league that year. Walter probably could have rushed for over three hundred yards if they gave him the ball. But we had gotten behind early, and Dick had kind of panicked, and we started throwing it, and and we're just not a throwing football team. You know, everything was based around the run. So I, I didn't I didn't bug him at all that night. I didn't say, hey, let me in the game. I said, you know what? I'm just going to sit here and enjoy this hmm. Miami deal on, on Monday night or Sunday night, whenever that game was. Monday but night, yeah. All I wanted to do was make sure that Walter got his record. He was going for, I think, his 10th or 11th 100-yard game in a row on the ground. And so I was. that was my job, was just trying to make sure that, he, you know, he got his record. So I was making – sure that uh, I was counting the yards that he got. So with about six minutes to go in the game, we're down 14 points. Dickett decides to put me in. And he said, okay, you're going in. I said, no, I'm not. He told me I wasn't playing tonight. <laughs> and so he was kind of mad at me then. And I, he said, you're in the game. So I said, okay. And I, he gives me a pass play. Oh, no. Oh, no. And so I, I go in the huddle, oh, and no. at this at this point, I'm thinking Walter has around 70 or 75 yards. We that that was my count. Yeah. And I get in the huddle. I said, look, boys, we're down 14 points. I said, who cares if we win this game? I said, we're already in the playoffs. we got home field. I said, let's get this man the record that he deserves. And to a man, they all said, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And so I called a running play. And, you know, at this point, the Dolphins are only rushing three and dropping eight. Yep. So a lot of a lot of room to run, 
as we're getting the line of scrimmage, Mike knows I didn't call the pass, and he starts yelling. And uh, <laughs> I give it to Walter. He busted up there for you know, 10, 15 yards. Right. And uh, I didn't realize at the time we, we had another timeout. So Dick had burned the timeout. I had to go back over there and talk to him now. And he's just MFing me up and down the field. And I said, look, Mike, you know, we just – we just picked up 15 that, you know, we don't have anything in our passing game that gets us that many yards unless you just throw it deep. Right. Yep. I said, and now Walter only needs maybe 10 yards for his record. And he had no clue what I was talking about because mm-hmm. he was so mad at me, mm-hmm. but it, it finally clicked in. He said, okay, okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll get him his record, but first we're going to do this. And he gives me another pass. So I go in the huddle. I said, boys, it's really going to hit the fan now, but we're running this thing again. And they all just laughed. They said, yeah, let's go. So I, I called in another run. And, and when I, I looked over at Dick, and he knows I didn't call the pass. So now he throws his clipboard at me. He tries to throw the headset. And I uh, give it to Walter. He busted up there for another 10 or 15. And I said, okay, now nah, nah, let's try to win the game. But he did end up getting his record. We lost that game. But uh, I think it opened everybody's eyes to refocus and, and uh, you know finish strong down the stretch. And uh, I would have loved to, yeah, I'd love to. I think that would have been a hell of a lot better Super Bowl than the one we, we had. Did you guys either release or shoot the Super Bowl shuffle like the day after the Dolphins game? Did I read that right? Correct. Yeah, they had they had that scheduled for us to go in on uh, Tuesday morning. You know, we got back from Miami to Chicago probably, I don't know, 3, 4 in the morning. The guys had to be at the studio at, um, I think it was 8 or 9 that day. And uh, Walter and I both had told Willie Galt it was his idea with his friend of his, his that was in the music business. And, uh, you know, the premise was we we're going to do a record. This is how it was explained to us. We're going to do a record. The proceeds will feed the homeless on Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. And so and we thought, yeah, that's, that's a nice, nice thing to do. So we agreed to do a record. And so we did the record. We did that probably a month before the, uh, they taped the video. And so a couple of weeks after the record, he comes to us and says, now we have to do a video. And Walter and I both said, no, that, that wasn't the deal. We did our end of the, our, you know, held up our end of the bargain. And so about another couple of days later, Willie came and said, hey, if you guys don't do it, we're going to have to sue you. So what you saw on the, you know, wow. they, Walter and I had to do our parts after practice one day in the racquetball court at Alice Hall. Oh, wow. So what you saw... What you saw for me was a one pissed off white man having to do that, that uh, whatever we did. But that's how that came about. All right. Now, you can't go without talking about Super Bowl week. Did you have any fun? Everybody says that Jim McMahon is individually responsible for the most interesting and exciting Super Bowl week in New Orleans in the history, even to this day, in the history of Super Bowl weeks. I'm looking at a, a Bob Hope story, obviously the mooning of the helicopter story, and then something scary happened that I didn't know about. Somebody reported or misreported that you had gone on some sort of a radio station. Well, it's, Tell us about that week. Yeah, it was uh, actually it started out great. You know, we had no curfew all week, which is which was a lot of fun. You know, New Orleans and no curfew. It was, we saw the sun come up a couple of days. And then, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I remember I did the Bob Hope special. We were in Bob's suite. Uh, we did the show. And then one of the nights, I don't know if it was the same night or it might have been the, the next night that uh, we were kind of hungry. It was probably two or three in the morning. And I said, hey, Bob Hope has a suite with a lot of food in it. So we ended up going to his suite and, <laughs> and eating a bunch of food, woke him up. 
And then uh, that was probably on a Tuesday or Wednesday. And then Thursday morning, about, I don't know, 5.30, 6 a.m., the phone rings. And it was an irate fan, you know, just cussing me up and down. And I'm like, what the hell? I hang up. My roommate looks at me. Who's that? I said, I don't know. Five minutes later, it happened again. Same thing. Irate fan saying, oh, we're going to kill you. You know, you, you wow. called, you said this and this. And I'm like, wow, I, I don't know what the hell I did last night. But wow. I don't remember doing any of this. Yeah. And so I go down to breakfast and I'm standing in the line. And here comes our, our general manager. And he just walked by me, and all he said was, oh, you really did it this time. That's all he said. So I still don't know what the hell I've done. And then Dicka finally walked up to me, and he says, did you really say that? And I said, Mike, I don't know what everybody's mad at. I said, I got woken up this morning. I said, Jerry's pissed. I said, what did I say? And he goes, did you do a radio show this morning and call all the women of New Orleans sluts? And I looked at him like, what, are you crazy? <laughs> I said, when, when was this show? And he goes, well, 6 a.m. this morning. I said, dude, I said, I didn't get back till 530. I didn't get up at 6. And I certainly wouldn't say that to a reporter. You know, it was right. just it was just ridiculous. Right. And so for the rest of the week, we had women picketing the hotel. We had, oh you know, I was still getting threats. Nobody wanted me to stand, to stand by me at practice because we practiced at the old Saints facility, which... Uh, there was an apartment complex that overlooked the whole field, and everybody thought I was going to get shot. Did somebody impersonate you, or what happened? I mean, no, the dude, the dude just made it up because he didn't like me. What dude? Some dude on TV some, or something? Some, yeah, some dude. Yeah, uh, his name was Buddy something. He went on. Hell, I can't remember. His it name. doesn't matter. He went on but, TV and said that Jim McMahon. So none of these women and these people that were picketed actually heard an interview with supposedly Jim McMahon. It was just a report of it, right? Correct. Oh my God. Yeah. So then I had to, you know, I was supposed to, I was, and I had talked to the press every day like I was supposed to. I did my time and I couldn't believe how, you know, where this came from. And so my attorney actually was, he came down to New Orleans and said, look, you, you have to talk to the press. And I said, no, why should I talk to him? I said, they, they're going to make up whatever the hell they want anyway. Look what just happened. And so I finally agreed. I went down and said, look, guys, I, you know, I don't know what the hell, where this guy got the story, but, you know, it's not something I said. And I said, I've been talking to you people all week, and this is this is how you treat me. I said, this is my last interview. So that was it. I didn't talk to anybody else until after the that game. Jim McMahon, do you regret any of this? Do you? And I'm not talking about the Super Bowl. When you when you think back now, how old are you these days, Jim? I'll be 61 in August. When you think back to your career, you're not the type of guy that would regret anything. Do you regret any of your behavior? Or do you look back at it and smile and chuckle and glad that you did it your way? If you could snap your fingers and say, I'd like to have one thing over, it would be something. What, what, what do you think? Well, if I would, I don't think I can remember any of them. <laughs> I don't think I'd do anything differently other than not play some of the games that I played with the injuries that I had. But uh -oh. Other than that, no, I I would still treat the press the way they treated me, and uh, you know I, I didn't it didn't bother me what they said. So I would t talk to my teammates about it. I said, look, it doesn't really matter what they think of you or what you say. I said, if you went on Sunday, <laughs> all this goes away. It pretty much did. It's just some great stories. The most one of the most colorful players in NFL history. Finish up with us if you don't mind, because I know you've made the rounds a little bit on this. People have been asking you about it. The golf gambling with, with Jordan. Yeah, MJ and I used to play quite a bit when we were both in Chicago. And, uh, well, we were, we were playing at his, his club in Chicago. I think it was the Merritt Club. And 
I was playing pretty good. You know, we had a hundred dollar Nassau bet. If anybody knows golf, they know what that is. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that was a good bet for me at the time because I was still playing for the Bears and <laughs> they weren't paying a whole lot. Yeah. And I had little kids, so I'd probably have him down on the front side, maybe two or three bets. So when I teed it up on ten, I was getting ready to hit, and he said, "Okay, I'll play you this side for a million." <laughs> And he was dead serious. And uh, I said, you know what? I would love, I would love to do it because I could use the million because I don't, I didn't even have a million dollars. That's what I told him. I said, I said, for one, I don't have a million. And two, I said, for some, you know, somehow you come back and end up winning and then my kids don't go to college. So I said, no, I said, I'm not going to accept that bet, but you can keep, you know, jacking up the hundreds every time you want. So <laughs> end up winning that day. I was, you know, like I said, I, I was a much better player when I was younger, when I didn't know the game. Now that I understand the game, I'm worse at it. So how much did he hand you? Uh, I don't know. A couple grand. Okay. Wasn't that, wasn't that big a deal. But he was dead. Was, he was, he was ready to him. He was ready to play you for a million bucks on nine holes. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, he used to come to the house and we played a lot of pool together. He uh yeah, he took a little money. He's a pretty good pool player too. He just he just loves to gamble. I mean he's he's just so competitive. He just uh yeah. and it really doesn't matter if it's one or a hundred or, or a million because he just he always said, I just want to have your money in my pocket. That's, that's, <laughs> that's his that's his deal. Well, Jim McMahon, it's great for you to visit with me again. You've done so in the past a few times, and I'm super appreciative. I hope your neck continues to feel okay. I hope you and your 60s continue to feel okay and know that you put a lot of smiles on people's faces back when you played. A lot of smiles. Not only were you a good football player, but you were a fun guy, a really fun guy to watch and uh, the game was better with you in it jim thanks for being with us on mitch unfiltered appreciate it very very much hey mitch my pleasure call me anytime brother you know july is an exciting month for so many reasons the world continues its surge back to normalcy restaurants in the pacific northwest returning to full capacity so here's daniel's ceo lindsey schwartz lindsey what can you tell us about daniel's broiler yeah, Mitch, we're super excited to be at 100% capacity finally. The summertime's always a great time of year for us, so, so it's a really exciting time. Now we just need more people to come to work now that we've got the expanded <laughs> demand. We need, we need more team members. Now hold on a second. I hear you have a, a new all-star busboy at the Bellevue location named Movie Mogul Max. How's he doing? And tell us a little bit about, more importantly, the positions that you have available and how people go about applying for those positions. Yeah, you know, Max is doing a, a great job, and everybody likes him, which is surprising, <laughs> you know, based on who his dad is. But, uh, yeah, he's doing great. And, yeah, we need more hardworking people like him out there. We've got lots of opportunities at every location, whatever people want to do. There's jobs in the kitchen, front of house, servers, bartenders, bussers, front desk. So really, it's anything. And, and we've got part-time, full-time, looking for people who just want to come and uh, get some shifts during the summer or make a career with us. Anything goes right now. Danielsbroiler.com. And tell us about the old-fashioned mixer on Amazon. How's that doing? And I understand there's maybe an expansion of sorts. 
Yeah, it's been amazing, the success that we've had with the Old Fashioned Mixer on Amazon these past few months. And uh, we're launching three more varieties, a whiskey nice. sour, a Kentucky mule, a lavender martini. Those should all be up on Amazon any minute if they're not already. And uh, also, you'll be able to now find them on the shelves at all of the QFC stores. Okay, so great news from Daniel's Broiler. And they are looking to hire for all positions, full-time and part-time positions. Go to danielsbroiler.com and click the employment tab we love daniel's broiler a world-class steakhouse unfiltered there are 350 division one coaches in america i happen to be one of them for that i'm extremely blessed and honored to be one of them but basketball is what i do it's not who i am I am Lavelle Moten. Now, y'all can do this two ways. You can look in that mirror and lie to yourself, or you can look in that mirror and be real with yourself. Let's make this the best game that we've played thus far. Let's play hard, let's play smart, and let's play together. The people that's being killed out here in these streets and losing innocent lives, and that's what Kaepernick was originally protesting anyway, they look like me and they look like my son. So I'm a basketball coach for two hours, but for 22 hours, I'm, I'm a husband and a father that has to make sure my child get back home. It was another hideous week for our nation in terms of racial profiling, police brutality. The Minneapolis murder of George Floyd has set this country back in so many ways. We are joined on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline by truly one of the finest, lesser-known head basketball coaches in America, North Carolina Central University's Lavelle Moten. Coach, it's great. It's great privilege to have you on. I just wish it was under better circumstances like your Eagles going to the NCAA tournament. That'd be much more fun. Yeah, that would be much fun. Much more fun to talk about, but thank you for having me. Yes. You've lived with the heaviness of an unacceptable and really grotesque experience that you decided to share with the world on Twitter in the wake of the terribly tragic scene in Minneapolis. I I want you to tell your story to our audience, but before you do, maybe you can just help people like me who are fortunate enough to not know what it's like to have to endure this type of treatment, understand how much of a burden privately it's been for you carrying this type of incident on your shoulders individually for so long. I'll be honest, you know, it's, um, it's, it's really difficult to say the least. And the thing about it is, um, you know, you, you, you go through so many experiences and you become so marginalized and feel so marginalized that it becomes a sense of normalcy for you, right? And so you have to, it it, it affects your mental health. Well, at least it affects mine. Um, I was waking up this past week, you know, having nightmares about, you know, some previous incidents that I've had um, with with law enforcement, you know, both as a kid and both as uh, a 31-year-old black man. And, you know, and that was the story that I pretty much tweeted. So you're, you're faced to deal with this, I don't know, I'm struggling to find the words, this, this difficult circumstance. And it affects you and everything that you do. And it's often difficult because now I have a child. And when I'm teaching my kid how to drive, I'm not just teaching him how to parallel park and how to two and three point turn. I'm, I got to teach him how to uh, conduct himself in case he is pulled over because he may be targeted. 
and that's the harsh reality that I've dealt with. And, you know, I've been a, a part of so many challenges and committees and, you know, things of that nature, whether it was Sandy Hook or the ALS Challenge or the Coaches versus Cancer. And all of those things are wonderful because it taps into humanity, right? And any human being should have the empathy and sympathy for those matters. So I decided to tweet my situation because it's much needed in this world right now. And George, George Floyd could have been me. George Floyd could have been you know, plenty of people that I grew up with. I know you're in the Washington area, but I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. And my big brother, my mentor, is a guy that used to play for the Sonics and coach the Sonics by the name of Nate McMillan. Sure. <laughs> right? He he was my big brother, my mentor, you know, in just growing up. So we, we've all dealt with those circumstances, and I just decided to tweet it the other day. Well, let's go through it. I just want you to assume that most in our audience have not read the tweets I have. Go back to May 2005. You're in that car with Raymond Felton, a, a name we know uh, from his college right. greatness and, and his time in the NBA. How old were you guys? And kind of start from the beginning and tell the story, if you would. Yeah, I'm a high school coach at the time in, in my hometown of Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, and Raymond Felton is a junior at North Carolina. Um, and we're really close. He's like my little brother. He's the godfather of my kids, uh, best man in my wedding, et cetera, et cetera. But at this time, we're just, we're just two homeboys hanging out. Um, um, I have a Yukon Denali at the time, and the, and the truck has tinted windows. And I'm riding back through my old neighborhood, and I have my mom on the phone. And I see in my rear view a cop just following me. And, I, uh, again, I'm so accustomed to that. That's that's nothing where we're from. Like, you get that all the time. If you go back into our neighborhood, chances are you're going to get that. That's just the law of probability. Um, so I tell my mom, I said, Mom, I'm going to call you back because I know I'm about to get pulled over. She said, no, stay on the phone with me. And I was like, Ma, I'll call you back. And just... Seconds after, it seems like his siren went off and uh, he alerted me to pull over. So I pulled to the side of the road and I put my phone on the on the dashboard and immediately, um, you know, the, the the officer comes up. He yanks my door open, right? And he's trying to yank me out of the front seat, but I'm not I'm not going because my seatbelt is still connected. So I, I unhook my seatbelt. He snatches me out the car, and his partner has a gun pointed at my head, and. They haven't done none of the routine driver's license registration, none of that. Like, it's just straight zero to 100 for them. And I'm turning around asking them, like, man, what are you doing? And, so, and you know, they, they're shouting out expletives at me. And every time he shouts the expletives, he's, he's, his partner has his gun pointed seems closer and closer to my head. So every time I turn around, they shell him, they're telling me to shut the F up. And now he's trying to get me to spread eagle on my on my truck. And he's trying to get me to do that, but he's kicking my ankles. Like, it's to do that. Like, it's, it's, it's crazy. The way a, I guess the way a baseball coach would argue with an umpire and kick dirt on him, that's how he's kicking my ankles, literally, right? So he's telling me uh, I, he needs to search the car. And I said, you're not searching my car. You're not searching my truck. Like, what are you talking about? He said, y'all look like dope boys, and I, I need to search this truck because it's dope in that car, and I know it's dope in that car, and you ain't going to let me search the car. Why, why, why? He, you know, he's steadily just coming at me, et cetera, et cetera. By this time, I know he's called backup, and he's handcuffed me, taking my head, and pushed me down 
uh, on the curve. On, now I'm at the back of my truck. I can hear my mother's voice coming through the phone, right? So mind you, this entire time, they don't know Raymond is in the car, right? Because they both ran up on my side of the, of the truck or the car, whatever, right? And they never ran up on Raymond's side, and the windows are tinted, so they never really see him. All they can hear is my mother shouting through the phone and, and, and crying and screaming, and, you know, she's in disbelief and so on and so forth. And long story short, he pushed me down on the curve. It's raining, and I have on all white, right, because me and Raymond was going to an event that required you to wear all white. So it's raining. Now I'm sitting in a mud puddle, and his backup that he's caught has driven the car, and he literally drives on top of the curve, and I thought he was trying to run me over. And he throws on brake, and he get out his car maybe five feet away from me, and he pulls out his his gun because the other officers had their guns out. So now I got three guns pointed at me. Just so happened the backup's partner or buddy, he's in the passenger side, and by this time they're asking me to go in my car and get my driver's license registration. And I refused. I said, I'm not reaching in there for you guys to shoot me, right, because you haven't done anything routine. You ain't even asked me no questions. You don't know my name, anything. So I said, if you want to know my driver's license or you want my driver's license, I'll give you my driver's license number because I've I've been taught to memorize my number since I was 10 years old in case <laughs> this ever happened. So, I, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, 16 years old in case this ever happened. So I know my driver's license number by heart. So I'm telling him that. So one of them proceeded to go run. I guess he go sit in the car. He's running my license or whatever. And the, and the partner of the officer that pulled up, he keeps glancing at me. And then he huddles the other guys up, and I hear Lavelle Moten. So I'm, I'm assuming he said, like, yo, this is Lavelle Moten. So he walks back over. He said, man, what, what is your name? And I said, Lavelle Moten. He said, man, I thought I knew. And he walked back over there, and they're having their side conversation. And so my mom is still screaming. So by this time, Ray has wrote down his, his side of the window, and he's telling me, Vail, just calm down, calm down. So now they run up to Ray's side because he completely scared them because they never knew he was in the car until he said something this probably 10 or 15 minutes later and when they run up on his side of the car they see that it's Raymond Felton now we're in Tobacco Road so basketball players at Duke in North Carolina are probably more popular than the star player on the Carolina Panthers sure. right that's how <laughs> Tobacco Road works down here and the officers say man that's Raymond Felton so they go back and they huddle up and the initial officer comes over and he said listen man I want to apologize um, you know you fit the description scripture we thought you were some dope boys and blah 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 so he he's extended his hand for me to shake it he said i want you to set my apology because i don't want you to think i'm a butthole he ain't say butthole but you get my point and i refused to shake his hand i said man no it's too late for that you know and they pulled off i sat on that curb probably 30 minutes and it was the first time in my life that i felt less than a man as a man, right? It was the first time I felt less than a man, courtesy of a man, because my life could have been taken away from me right before my eyes. And I had to really sit on that curve and gather myself and get myself together. Um, I get back in the in the truck, and I'm muddy, and, you know, it's, it's they were doing some more things. You know, as they were talking to me, they're really kicking mud and kicking puddles of, of, of dirt on me intentionally. And so I'm, I'm filthy. I get back in my truck and I'm kind of crying because I've never heard my mother cry for her son like that. Right. I come from a tough background. Um, I have a tough mom, a strong mom, and I've never heard her cry 
out like that. So that really affected me. So I'm driving. I'm in disbelief. I'm kind of mentally paralyzed by the situation. Raymond is kind of frozen because we're in disbelief. We can't believe it happened. So we're contemplating our options and so on and so forth. And this is May of 2005. North Carolina had won the championship and defeated Illinois in April of 2005. So Raymond is going to declare for the NBA draft. And I'm the only one that really knows that. He hasn't uh, announced that yet. And so I didn't want to make it go public because I didn't want any negative negative halo over his draft value, his draft stock, because I know how much he needed that. And if you remember, I don't know how much of a sports guy you are, but in 2005, if you go back and look, Carolina lost their first game of the season to Santa Clara, and Raymond didn't play. And the reason Raymond didn't play was because he came and played with me um, in my in a in a basketball summer league, and there was some paperwork issues, and so the NCAA punished him because he said that um, the league wasn't sanctioned, right? And so they took one game away from him, and I've always felt bad and guilty about that. So I always said I'm not going to distract or take away anything from this young man again, and so I never said anything because I wanted to protect him and his draft value at that time. So it never came out to 15 years later, and that that was the tweet. By staying quiet. And I understand, you know, it was well within your right to stay quiet. But by, I mean, you knew this at the time. By helping out your buddy Raymond, these guys were walking away from consequences. Yeah. And certainly yeah. you, you had to internally fight with that, I would think, for many years. That these, the, the, these guys should have been, there should have been huge consequences to their behavior. But there weren't because it never got out. Absolutely. And, you know, I've always, you know, Raymond is the godfather to my kids, right? So that's how close we are. He's the best man at my wedding. I'm the best man at his wedding. And my job as a big brother has always been to protect him, even if it means suppressing my own wants so his could be fulfilled. And I knew how much his family needed him to make it for their sake. So, I was just an unselfish guy, and I took one for the team. So it it bothered me, but hearing him and seeing him go and become drafted the following month at number five, if I had to do it all over again, as opposed to it it, it creating some drama around his name and affecting his draft value, because you know, like I know, a couple of draft spots sure. equate to sure. million dollars. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. It, I would I would always do that because that's just the type of friend, you know, that I am. And the second thing, I never really – and this is what I wanted people to understand because the, my primary reason for tweeting it was to let people who probably are unfamiliar, you know, from a different population or from a different demographic, to let people know that that wasn't my first incident with the police, right? Where we're from, that's kind of common. When I was 12 years old, I was playing on an AAU basketball team, and we were scheduled to go out of town on the weekend, and I, my mom couldn't afford to give me $150 and all this type stuff to go on AAU trips. So what I always did, I always sold magazine subscriptions back then to, you know, cultivate money so I could go on my trips. And in my housing projects, probably four blocks down is the governor's mansion. So in that area is a place called Historic Oakwood, and I would always go there and sell my magazine subscriptions. Long story short, I sold some magazine subscriptions, you know, earned my money, and I'm walking back to my neighborhood, and I'm counting the money, and I'm 12 years old, seventh grade. A cop pulls up beside me, and I'm walking, so he's probably going two, three miles an hour. He rolls down his window. He said, hey, boy, what kind of money is that? 
And I never answered them because I'm not anybody's boy. Even at 12, I want anybody's boy, right? And, uh-huh. you know, uh, I just kept walking. He said, boy, where you get that money from? What kind of money is that? And I said, man, I'm not a boy. And I said, I told him, look, I sell magazine subscriptions for my AU trip or whatever. So he pulls up in front of me, cuts me off. He gets out the car, makes me spread eagle on the car, checks my pocket for crack and drugs, right? And I had some money in my other pocket from the magazine subscription. He took it, right? And he took the money that I had in my hand, and he drove off, right? That was the nature of the police in our neighborhood, right? And so my thing is I wanted and, – and I went home, and I was crying when I went home. But I wasn't even crying because he humiliated me. I was crying because I thought I wouldn't be able to go on my AAU trip because that's how much basketball meant to me. So us being targeted and victims and and marginalized, that had become a sense of normalcy even for me at 12 years old. So the incident I tweeted about, that wasn't my first run-in with the cops, right? Like, it, it happens on the regular. That was the first time a cop had put a gun to my head and I feared for my life. Coach, uh, you got to go back to what the feeling is like to have to to live with that. I I mean, I don't want to sound weak, but when I'm driving down the road and a police car comes behind me just to change lanes, my heart stops. I mean, I get when I look in that rear rear view mirror and I see a police officer or a police car, my anxiety, my stress goes through the roof and he's just changing lanes to go somewhere else. I can't even I can't even conceive what it must feel like for you to have to just live with this in your life. Right. You know, it's difficult to to say the least. Um, You know, obviously, you know, my upbringing was a challenging one and one that was full of adversity that I was able to make it through. However, um, you don't forget those circumstances. And as a grown man, they affect you because we didn't have the resources um, that's available to this world now in terms of mental health options and counseling and therapy. And like, we, we never had any of that. We were taught to bottle our emotions and just make it through the next day because each day we walked out of our home, it was literally a matter of life and death on whether or not we were going to get back in. So we had so much fish to fry. So, you know, as a grown man, it's in me receiving mental health therapy now because of some of the atrocities that I had to go through and experience as a young man. You know, I've learned to at least try to address these things. And I've had to learn breathing patterns and I had to learn self-care and self-love. And I had to learn um, listening to music that makes me feel good and putting my head in a space of peace and tranquility. Um, and it affects you every time. When I, when I drive, number one, I rarely go out. Right. Um, I rarely go out. Number two, when I drive, I always stay in the right lane on the highway. So I'm the guy that drives in the right lane of highway and you think I'm going too slow and you're cussing me out because I'm going too slow. Right. But that's just who I am because I don't want anything. And I'll tell you this quick story. Um, well, I always keep my license. I don't even keep my license in the glove compartment or in a, a armrest anymore. I keep it on top um, of of the dashboard, right? So he can see if in case I get pulled, right? And this is just the things that you prepare for. But a couple of nights ago, when I saw the George Floyd thing, um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of dreams. I just, but I also believe that dreams come as a manifestation of your thoughts. And when you think about something over and over, chances are you'll dream about it. And that's, that was 
the case of my situation. And I had a dream about the story that I tweeted and what I just told you. And I woke up in like a cold sweat, right? Because I was scared. I was terrified. Um, I went and rushed in my kids' room to see if they were still living. Like, it just drives you crazy. It's a level of paranoia. And a couple of nights ago, uh, my mom probably stays like 35, 40 minutes away from me. We, I got my wife and my two kids um, in the car. They're 7 and 11, and we're driving down the highway. And my wife looks over at, at the uh, – she's in the passenger side. She looks over at me and, and looks at the uh, speedometer, and she said, you need to slow down. And I was like, what? I was like – I look up, the speed limit is 55. I look at my speedometer, I'm going 45, hmm. right? And she's like, you need to slow down. Huh. And I was like, slow down. And then, like, maybe three minutes later, she said the same thing. And I'm getting agitated with her. I'm like, won't read something or listen to something. Get on your phone. Like, you ain't going to tell me how to drive. Like, <laughs> you know, it was, I don't know if it was the quarantine thing or what. But I was like, look, just pay attention to what you do. You ain't get in this car to tell me how to drive. And she was like, I need you to understand something. She said, I don't need any reason or any built-in excuse for a cop to pull this car over and you possibly die in front of our family. And she had tears coming down her eyes. And that just, man, mm. <laughs> like, it, it makes me emotional now just thinking about it, right? Because I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with. That's what she's dealing with every time I go out the house and, you know, the world don't seem to understand that. So my you, tweet was to kind of educate a different demographic and a different population um, who yeah. may not be as familiar with George Floyd. But just to let them know, look, man, this is this is not a movie. This is not entertainment. This is not a, a bad dream. This is a harsh reality for many of us. And a lot of us were fortunate to make it through and some were not. So we need to have some empathy and sympathy. Forget the black and white and forget about the, the Democrats and Republicans and all like your fellow human is suffering. We're suffering as a people like this. This is hurtful and agitating. And, yeah. and we need people that don't look like us to speak up and advocate on our behalf. I, I can't even believe it's 2020. It is the year 2020, right? I just, yeah. uh, listening to yeah. your story. Uh, Coach, did you think that you were going to die in that 2005 incident? What did you, what was going through your mind? What did you think was going to happen in the, in the moments before they recognized you and Ray? I was, I thought the worst. I thought the worst. And honestly, your emotions, they escalate to such a degree and I hate to say this because it, it, it doesn't sound right when you're in a sane, rational state of mind, but they escalate to a degree where you're like, I don't even care anymore, right? Because you're being so disrespected, right? And we're all men. I'm not a basketball coach. I'm a man before I'm anything. And for someone to just rush me and go from zero to 100 right. without the routine, without the, the proper training and the protocol, you know, I expected the worst, right? Because he exhibited the worst. Like he, it didn't go from a, a stable situation to an out of control situation. Normally, it takes two parties for that to happen. Right. All I did was pull over, and now I'm getting snatched out of my car. So honestly, I expected the worst, right? And when he cuffed me and took my head and pushed me down on the curb, I, I, I wasn't sure how I would wake up the next day. Coach, everyone is quick to point towards police training and what these men and women learn before they ever don a badge. But 
In my mind, isn't there so much more than that? I mean, if they bring with them a poor upbringing in terms of social awareness and values, isn't the training then all for naught? I mean, at the end of the day, isn't this really up to our mothers and our fathers and the grandparents to instill the correct values in our youth? Right. And that's that's exactly who who is up to. And, you know, I live in a neighborhood where our neighbors don't look like me. But our kids go out there and they play together, and it's one of the most beautiful things ever. They don't, obviously, they don't see color. They love each other. And so, obviously, this this hatred is taught. It's not, it's not something that you naturally inherit. And I think it's much bigger than that. And I had the opportunity to work in the school system. I was a, a teacher for six years. And... I always think it's a lack of education, and I'll tell you why I say that. If you look at any history book, um, let's say a 10th grade history book, 11th grade history book, um, let's say it's 300 pages. Out of those 300 pages, in, in public school systems, you only learn about five black people. So subconsciously, you only believe that five black people made a major contribution to the United States of America. And those black people are probably Harriet Tubman. They give you a paragraph of Harriet Tubman, give you a paragraph of Jackie Robinson, give you a paragraph of Rosa Parks, give you some Martin Luther King, and you might get, I don't know, a Jesse Jackson or a Muhammad Ali, like at best, right? Or Hank Aaron, right? And those are the five people. This generation may get an Obama, so they may get a six. But those are the standard five people. So... If I'm a young black male, subconsciously I'm thinking my my esteem is low because only five sure. posi- only five black people have made contributions that's positive to the United States. Conversely, if I'm a white male, I'm thinking maybe I got a sense of entitlement because only five black people have made a contribution to the United States, which means the other 295 pages should be filled with the positive contributions that my ancestors made. So now on one hand, I feel like you have one group of people that's walking away with a, a false education and also an entitlement, right? And not so much of an appreciation because history books, if you're reading that, they, they're kind of telling you that you're greater than. That's what it is, instead of learning the proper history. So I just think that attitude and that education going out here in this world allows entitled people to look down or look at us as if we're less than. And that's yeah. definitely not the issue, but that's how we're treated. Yeah. And you're looking at situations all this week, not just to George Lloyd. You're looking at Ahmad, and he's, he's jogging. We can't jog anymore without getting killed. Right. Now, that, obviously, that wasn't the police, but, you know, it's, it's bigger than the police training. It's just these it's, it's these ideas and principles and beliefs of people that don't look like us that think it's okay to kill us. And not only that, it's okay to do that because we're going to get off. You look at Amy Cooper, what she did in, in Central Park, yes. right? With, yes. with, she, she called the cops on Kristen Cooper yes. in hopes of that situation ending up like George Floyd. Right. <laughs> right? Uh, and yes. that was televised. Yes. But it's so many people that don't have a voice and, or a platform or a camera where it's not being recorded with these stories. And that's the same thing as Emmett Till back in the day. It's still going on. It's still the direct parallel because it's always been the elephant in the room and no one wanted to truly address it. So as we finish up, Coach, 
What's the answer? I mean, guys like me who have a small pulpit in an audience need to keep the conversation in the forefront of everybody's mind. I get that. But what can Joe Schmo, who's listening in Seattle, driving down the road, big fan of Nate McMillan, big fan of the Seattle Supersonics, listening to Mitch and listening to Coach, what can each of us do? What's our part in all of this? Well, so much. Um, And I've challenged people of different races because here I do so much community work right because ba- my, my grandmother once told me if people remember you as a basketball player then you've done a poor job of living so I, I'm, I'm actively involved in the community and I'm, I'm showing so much love and appreciation to um, all races especially the black race and I think we just need the love that we've shown reciprocated we need the sympathy we need the empathy if we say black lives matter um, that doesn't mean we're we're anti-white. <laughs> that means we're pro-black. It means we love our families just like you guys love your families. And there needs to be some kind of empathy and, and sensitivity to that. And I'm a strong believer. No change has ever been made in America on behalf of black people unless it was people that didn't look like us also marching and supporting and speaking out against whatever we were speaking out or advocating for us. For instance, Vegas, as we know it right now, you know, it's the place to be, it's the strip of entertainment, et cetera, et cetera. But that place was once heavily segregated. And Frank Sinatra said, if you want me to perform here, then you need to allow my friend here, Sammy Davis Jr., to also perform and also Quincy Jones. And now the rest is history, right? Um, You look at... The 1968 Olympics with John Carlos and Tommy Smith, um, when they had to put on the black gloves and raise their fists on the stand. What people don't know is the guy that won the silver medalist, the white guy, on. if you go look at that picture, his name is Peter Norman, right? He was from Australia. He was protesting along with them for human rights. Um, you and I, I assume, are both old enough to remember MTV when MTV was strictly <laughs> music television, yeah. right? And yeah. they showed videos all day. Right. Well, they had a guy by the name of David Bowie who was a pop star, and I remember their interview, and they was like, man, you're a great pop star. You got tremendous videos. And I remember him cutting the interviewer off saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I got great music and I got great interviews, but there's a guy named Michael Jackson who has incredible music and has incredible interviews. I mean, um... Uh, videos, and you need to show his videos as well. And so that's why black music began to be played on MTV. But all of those incidents, it took white people to stand up on our behalf. Because I know for myself, and I can only speak to me, I've stood up um, with other races and will always do it again. Like, I'm I'm just a man of humanity. I, I've, my team is an all-black team at HBCU, historically black college. We wore green bands for Sandy Hook when that tragedy happened, right? Um, you know, we did the Coaches versus Cancer. We did the ALS. We, I teach my kids to be human beings and show love and, and project love, and hopefully that can be reciprocated. So that's kind of a long-winded answer for what we need from, for people that don't look like us. Coach, you're beautifully articulate. You're very brave to have both carried this internally and then share it with the world as you have. All of us in our audience and all of your fans on Twitter and all the fans of your basketball program 
are indebted to you. So I thank you for being a huge part of Mitch Unfiltered in this episode. And I promise you that the next time you and I are going to speak is when you guys shock the world as like a 15 seed. You're going to beat a two, and then you're going to go to the second (laughs) round of the NCAA tournament. It is great to uh, catch up with you, and I look forward to our next time together. Thanks so much, Coach. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, look who we've captured again on Mitch Unfiltered. Fireside Home Solutions owner John Waterstrat off the golf course and the fishing boat to chat fireplaces and garage doors. How's everyone doing, John? Hi, Mitch. Doing great. Again, as I've said before, we've been super blessed to be in this market and uh, be in the building and retail industry, and our customers continue to bless us with lots of businesses. Uh, Again, just working through delays that manufacturers might have, but we think good communication and then having some patience, uh, we can get a lot of these things installed for people. It's funny. John, you think of fireplace conversations as wintertime discussions, but the truth is, like with us here at the house, it's now, right, that you start the planning process to change the look and feel of your home for fall and winter. Yeah, I think it's the great time. Depending on the kind of project you're doing, it takes a little while to make some selections. You know, we come out to your house like we've talked about before. You come into the showroom. So there are times that go along there. So if we can be patient again, like we were talking about, uh, we can look at stuff. We take our time to really pick out the things that we need to. We'll help guide you and make sure you make the right selection. But it does. It takes the pressure off of getting it done in the fall. Boom. When that first winter day or that fall day comes, you have that nice warm fire place in your home people who listen to unfiltered know that a few years ago you guys also jumped in the garage doors business how's it going tell us about that arm of your of your work it's doing great as well uh, it's very very busy in that industry it's a little bit different most garage doors are steel so the steel index has gone up so the pricing has been a little bit more variable we just moved our puyallup location to a sumner location so we could stock more for our customers to make sure we can keep those lead times down fantastic start your shopping whether it's a new indoor or outdoor fireplace or new garage doors you got to start your shopping with an amazingly loyal supporter of us here on Mitch Unfiltered, Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Unfiltered. Lewis gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! Episode 88 continues, and our next guest simply can do just about anything. Musician, songwriter, radio host, TV personality, Emmy Award winner, lots of records sold, not to mention the author of a new book called Relentless, Unleashing a Life of Purpose, Grit, and Faith. Here he is, John Tesh. John, thanks for being with us. I hope your family is safe and sound during the midst of all this. We are all really good. Thank you. Tell everybody about the Facebook marathon you did on Friday. How'd that go? Yeah, it was a, it was a Facebook-a-thon, right? <laughs> um, it was great. I mean, we're, we're, we were uh, we thought, ah, we'll, mess, we'll, we'll raise $10,000 and put, uh, you know, iPads and power bars and stuff in these boxes and send them to nurses and doctors. And so it's now like $35,000 and counting. And, and so uh, 
we have some work ahead of us to pack up all these boxes. The, the, the biggest, it, it's going great. The biggest thing is these iPads, which was really a surprise to me. What they're using those for is, um, is to help the nurses or helping the patients communicate with their families, of course. And in many cases, it's an end-of-life conversation. So uh, we didn't anticipate that being part of this. But when the hospitals told us, hey, this is what we need, then, uh, then that's that was the direction we pointed ourselves. John, you're you're from New York, and I guess you live in Los Angeles. So two hard hit areas. How's everybody doing? You know, I think that it's it's it's. I'm originally from Long Island, and I spent many years in New York City doing the news and sports and stuff. And so uh, I, I understand why it's so rough in New York because everybody's on top of each other, right? In Los Angeles, we never really see anybody. <laughs> everybody's in their cars, so it's it's not as bad, obviously. But um, we, it's no different for for me and my family because we we actually do work out of our house. The traffic is so bad in Los Angeles that we decided about ten years ago to put our studio. TV and radio, and we built it on the side of our house, and so it's uh, it's it, we're used to twenty four seven time together. John, so many in our audience were sad not to fill out an NCAA basketball bracket since we do sports, and we decided to run a similar pool with sixty four of the greatest TV show themes duking it out, and one of the odds makers' favorites has to be has to be Round Ball Rock, the NBA on NBC. I know you you've shared the story a million times. So let's make it a million and one about the answer machine and the idea and how that all came to be. Share with our audience, if you don't mind. Yeah, and the, the, I'll give you the short, the short version, the, the, the long version, and it's a long, like, 3,000-word version is in this book I just released called uh, Relentless because it's, it's usually the – I mean, my my live concerts are women uh, who have dragged their boyfriends or their husbands to a John Tesh concert. So <laughs> it's they're they're looking for relationship currency. So they're looking, you know, it's it's a romantic concert and you know and stories and things like that. And then you can always tell there's like three or four guys in the, in this tenth or fifteenth row with their arms folded, right? And they're just like, <laughs> when is this going to be over? And then when we land on the NBA basketball team and it's all synced up with video and everything, that you just see them, you know, leaning over to the I know this one. This is, I know this one. The, the, um, the, the wild thing is that it has taken on a life of its own, I mean, over the years. And if you go to YouTube and you search Round Ball Rock, which is the name of it, right, you, you, you can see hundreds of videos of not only people playing it on Casios but, uh, and, and on, on ukuleles, but people teaching how to play it. Uh, on Jimmy Fallon had a guy playing it, on a, uh, playing it through his nose on a melodica. Um, <laughs> there are, you know, I know, it's like, you know, Triumph the Insult Dog. Yeah. Insult Dog is made up, uh, Conan O'Brien's guy, has made up you know, lyrics to it. So, it, you know, even though it hasn't aired on the NBA for years, still recognizable. I think it's because, I mean, you, you're better at this than I am, but I think it's because of the heyday of the NBA, you know, back in 1990. Um, the song was written on my answering machine. It's a true story. I, I was in Europe uh, working on a tour de France uh, with David Michaels, Al Michaels' uh, brother, who's uh-huh. just a tremendous documentarian. And I had been working with him on the tour for years and doing all the music for him. And I found out, because, you, you know, you're in the pipeline when you're working for sports. I found out that NBC had just purchased the, uh, the rights to basketball and so they wanted. They were looking for a new theme, and before they could actually put it out there and ask John Williams and you know and the, the, the real composers uh, to you know to do something, I said I got to get this. I have to do this. I have to get recognized as a composer. And so, in the middle of the night uh, in Majev, France, where the Tour de France was, I got this idea in my head, and uh, I didn't have a tape recorder. I didn't have a keyboard, so I just called my answering machine 
and left a message for myself with the theme I had in my head. And it's really funny because when to tell a story on stage, you actually have to put a picture of an answering machine behind you because half the audience has no idea what I'm talking <laughs> about. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. And so you come home, okay, you come home and you get the message from yourself, and uh, how do you take it from there? Well, I left two messages for myself because my machine cut me off. So I called in. I'm calling in from France, right? So it's like, you know, it's like 50, it's like 52 digits, you know, and then it's like, a, you know, and, and then my voice picks up. Hey, this is John. There's nobody home right now. So I go, hey, John, this is John. Here's the message. Here, here's the end. It's 2 o'clock in the morning because I realize if I go back to sleep, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to build, you know, you have a good, an idea in the middle of the night, you got to write it down or something. So I, I sing the, the, the thing I had in my head uh, into my, into my, into the phone in France, into my answering machine. It was, and I still have the answering machine message. Yeah, you do. And so, you know, you know, it cuts me off. It's like, call back. And here's the rest of it. You know, and the wild thing is, you know, I got home two weeks later from France and I was so unpopular that I only had two messages on my machine. And uh, I put the machine on my piano and I figured it out. I had actually sung it in, in, uh, in A minor, you know, and so I just think, oh, I'll just play it in that. So I figured it out, and then I put in the, you know, knowing something about sports, not, not about sports, I don't know anything about sports, but knowing something about sports television, I knew that it needed a, um, uh, I, I, it needed like a section, right, where, they were, where Marv could talk over it, and it would be, you know, brought to you by, you know, yeah. da, 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 da. so I, I, I created all the sections, and, then I, I, and I went into an edit, edit bay, and I, I got footage of the San Antonio Spurs versus the Lakers, and I uh, would on a VHS tape. I edit it to that, and then the edit, I go, "There's something wrong with it." And the editor goes, "I think it's I think it's too slow." And so I, I figured out with a metronome how fast uh, Magic Johnson was was fast breaking with his, uh, how, what the basketball rate was, right? Yeah. And it ended up being 131 beats a minute on average, and that's about it's about 10 beats a minute faster than the than a Donna Summer song. So I I cranked it up from about 118 where it was to 131. And it just clicked. And so when I turned it in to the guys at NBC, I didn't send them a piece of audio. I sent them a tape ah. with it all, a videotape with it all, so they, could, so, so they could imagine it. They didn't have to imagine it. They could see it. They weren't expecting this, right? You weren't commissioned at all to do this. They just got from John Tesh his idea. And did they love it right away, John? Yeah, apparently, yeah. I mean, I got the call in, in, you know, in a couple of days, you know, and I tell the story on the stage when we're doing it in concert that, uh, you know, Eversol called and just said, uh, hey, this works. You know, it was like, no, do da, do da, you know, hey, but, you know, just another another five minutes of, of working for NBC. But it was, um, the, you know, the, the, the crazy thing about it is that I, I, it's pretty much my whole career is that, no, I was not commissioned to do that. I was not commissioned to write the music for the Tour de France. But David Michael says, hey, bring your synthesizers to France and we'll be in a truck and we'll, and we'll edit this thing. And, and the network basically just turned over, you know, they, they turned over the sports network for two hours every weekend for us to do the tour. And so it was all scored and everything. And, and I, I think that the reason was there was no expectation. And that was the thing about, about me sending it, you know, directly to those guys was it was, it was like, well, I don't think we can beat this. And, and so it had that combination of, of me, it was a catchy theme. Okay. And, and but it, but it also had a combination of that and, 
and being already being married to the pictures that I think really turned the tide. It sounds like you're very proud of it, and you ought to be because we all love it. Everybody loves it, and it's been very good. You always joke about this on stage. It's been very good to the John Tesh family, right? Round Ball Rock has been very good to your yeah, family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's that's the line. You know, it's, it's like you know the line I use is like, well, then and then Dick Eversall called me back and said, hey, John, we love your theme. Let us play it for 20 years and put two of your kids through college. <laughs> <laughs> How about the Saturday Night Live? I feel like I don't, I mean, I do own the song, but I feel like I don't own it anymore, you know, spiritually, because when when Fox, you know, came to me and said, hey, we'd like to play this for college basketball. And I said, sure, it's not on anywhere. And so we made a deal and we and we, and we we got it on, on Fox. And I, I got all this hate mail from people like, well, how, how dare you? And I'm yeah. like, yeah. screw you. I mean, I'm just trying to make a living here. How about the Saturday Night Live skit with Vince Vaughn? You know, it's on. And, and, and watch it again because you realize that Vince Vaughn has no idea who I am. The uh, the um, and we we play that every night in in, in concert. First of all, Sudeikis and the other guy they are dressed exactly like I was on Avalon. At, you know the the, uh, the, the, the the I mean it's just the exact same hairdo everything. Yeah. But when when um, Vince Vaughn speaks my name, he's reading it off a cue card. He goes he goes oh you guys know Tess. <laughs> he wrote the entertainment tonight. You know, it's like, you know, who, who is it? I'm just going to read the cue card. He's like Chris Walker. I just walk in there and read it. But, you know, it was, it is one of the funnier things that, uh, and what an honor, you know, I had all these people calling me saying, Hey, Saturday night live is making fun of you. I'm like, Oh, awesome. Where is it? Can I see it? <laughs> John, before you go, and I know we wanted to talk about the NBA on NBC, I have to ask you a couple of questions about the new memoir, and I wish you all the very best because there are some very – I've not read it yet, but there are some very powerful parts of your new memoir that's out. It's called Relentless Unleashing a Life of Purpose, Grit, and Faith, and you can get it wherever books are sold, and we all have time to read books right now. Let's start with your very private battle with prostate cancer and the subsequent fights with the disease, the suicidal thoughts. Tell us a little bit about that before we pick up your book. You know, the book isn't, uh, you know, a, a big treatise on, on a cancer battle. It's, it's, it's a big part of it, but it's titrated throughout the, throughout the story of uh, whether it's the creation of Round Ball Rock or Red Rocks or being homeless in a tent at 19 and a half years old. It's, it's a, there's a bunch of stories, sort of against all odds stories. But yeah, it was in 2015, they gave me, uh, you know, they said, well, you can probably count on two years to live. It was a very rare form of prostate cancer that didn't make any blood markers, so it didn't show up in my PSA. They found it by accident. And so for three years, it was a tremendous amount of suffering that my wife, Connie, Connie Salico, went through with me, where it was uh, uh, two surgeries, bone biopsies, uh, chemo, you know, and it was just, I was done. I became a cancer patient. I was just like, well, I'm 63. Uh, I've done some stuff. <laughs> the basketball team will take care of my family. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. I, I, you know, I just, I started drinking heavily. I was taking Vicodin because you can get anything when you're a cancer patient. Right. And I gave up and, 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 and my wife and I, uh, cancer kept coming back and we, we ended up after all the treatments were, were done and, and the doctors did a great job. We ended up landing on a scripture in the Bible, actually, that a friend of ours uh, opened, opened our eyes to it was Mark eleven twenty three, which is actually a great scripture for right now. And it says this, it says, whoever says to this mountain, meaning a mountain of whatever, a mountain of sickness, mountain of pain, mountain of depression, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will be done, 
shall have whatever he says. Therefore, whatever you ask when you pray, believe that you receive it and you will have it. And we so much believed in this as the pathway to my healing. We all got, we got a tattoo. My whole family got a tattoo on their bodies. And, wow. and um, at the moment we got that revelation. That was when I started to get uh, I started to get healed, and that was two years ago. And I have no cancer in, wow. in, in my body. So, the, the, a lot of what's in this book, and I really appreciate letting me talk about it, is you'll have what you say. Proverbs eighteen twenty one: Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And especially now, when when everybody's hunkered down and and worried and fear comes in, you got to be careful what comes out of your mouth. And so that's a lot of what the book is about. You just mentioned the homelessness in a tent. I assume that's as a result of the the incident at North Carolina State. And there's an also there's an also part of this book about following your dream. You always wanted to be a musician. You always wanted to be in music. And I, I think the North Carolina State is that right? The North Carolina State story would be interesting to people. Yeah, I mean, I was a I was a two sport walk on varsity athlete at NC State. I, I played lacrosse and soccer there because I mean I, I mean people who know me you know I'm, I'm I'm a very average person but I will beat you to death with persistence right <laughs> but do you want me to or not and so yeah I was I, I mean I was I was in the wrong major what happened was my dad was with the vice president of Haynes underwear and he decided that he wanted to send me to textile chemistry so I did that for I don't know about like four or five semesters and I was having to, I, you know it was I was terrible I had like a one eight you know GPA and uh, and then I took a radio television course and I got bit by the same bug you got bit by and I wanted to change my major. Yeah. My statistics professor said I was past the drop ad date and he wouldn't sign the card. So on advice from a fraternity brother and I may have had a beer, um, <laughs> I, 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 I did what he said he did all the time and that was to sign my professor's name to the drop ad card. Uh. Uh, I did. I got caught. I got busted for forgery. I was kicked out of school. I was suspended indefinitely. I broke the honor code. A letter came to my dad. My dad was a World War II uh, hero, uh, honorable man. He said, "You're no longer welcome in my house. You have shamed our family. You've shamed my. You've shamed the entire underwear division of Haynes." He said that, <laughs> and uh, I left. And I was homeless for six months, living in Raleigh, pumping gas and working construction. And three years later. I was anchoring the news as the youngest correspondent at CBS News wow. in New York City. So I'll, I'll let the book tell the rest of the story, but I'm pretty good at shooting myself in the foot and then trying to recover. Now, people, I think people in our audience, I guess most audiences, would know you best as Mary Hart's partner on Entertainment Tonight. I don't even know how many years you did that, but clearly from reading passages of the book and listening to you, that was never what you really wanted to do. What you really wanted to do was get on stage and and be a musician and, and have an orchestra and do a show. How did you transition from the success that you were having on, on national television, syndicated national television, to this this uh, this leader of orchestra and musician and, and, and all the stage shows after that? How'd that work out? Yeah, I mean, what happened was I, I was working at sports and, and they had found a, a CBS sport. And, and, and by the way, I am not a sportscaster. I'm not. Uh, I'm not Al Michaels. I'm not Brent Musburger. Two of my favorite guys, you know. And but I'm a documentarian, right? So that's why they sent me on. Well, I mean, I did. I did gymnastics. I did figure skating, and that's why I ended up uh, as an announcer on the Olympics and uh, for those events. And when I was doing all those, I, I was always writing music. I'm always writing themes for the NFL, for even for tennis and golf and everything. You know, you imagine what a golf theme sounds like. You know, uh, smooth jazz. And so. Um, when 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 the guys at Entertainment Tonight had found 
I was still doing the Tour de France, and when they had found an old tape of me as, uh, anchoring the news in, in, in Nashville with Pat Sajak as the weatherman and Oprah as a reporter, <laughs> they said, hey, we'd like for you to audition for Entertainment Tonight. I didn't even know what it was. And they said, uh, we're looking for a newsier approach to the show, and they knew my background, so they were like, you only have to work four hours a day, and you can have use of our recording studios on the Paramount Television lot. So I was like, okay. So that's why I took the job. I mean, E.T. was incredibly nice to me, but that's why I took the job. And then I thought, now I'm going to get a record deal. So I started sending out, you know, 23 million people a night back in the day, 1986, were seeing E.T. Right. And so I thought, I'll just send my, you know, I'll, I'll send it to Clive Davis, you know, Arista Records, Columbia Records, A&M Records. And I got turned down from all of them because I'm pretty sure they just didn't want the guy who was reading the celebrity birthdays on the same <laughs> label as Billy Joel. You know? <laughs> and so anyway, uh, I was watching TV and I saw Yanni at the Acropolis. And then I saw the three tenors, you know, in Italy somewhere. Yeah. And then I saw uh, the, the Moody Blues at Red Rocks. I looked at that and I said, that's it. We're going to do a big giant show at Red Rocks and, and uh, millions of people are going to buy my records, you know? <laughs> and so we pitched it to PBS and they said, what are you going to do? Read the celebrity birthdays for an orchestra? I'm like, ah, shut up. So anyway, <laughs> uh, they weren't going to fund it. I went to my wife, Connie, and, and we'd saved some TV money, right? Yeah. And I said, uh, this is what it's going to cost. Are we in? And she goes, yeah, we're in. And we took a second mortgage on our house wow. and we created Live at Red Rocks with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra, gave away 7,000 tickets. And after four songs, it rained, rained us out. I mean, the orchestra ran for their lives. Uh -oh. We continued to play with rain pouring out of the piano, pouring off the stage. The audience wouldn't leave. Finally, the moon came out, rain stopped, and, and a mist came along the, along the stage. Right? I mean, you'd, play, you'd pay five grand for this mist. It was a beautiful <laughs> mist. And we continued to play, and, and PBS tested it, and it blew up. And we went from selling 50 records a month to 50,000. Wow. And so that's really how my music career began. And, the rest, yeah. and as they say, the rest of the story is history. But it sounds to me like the aforementioned Yanni beat you out for the golf theme music, by the way. Oh, yeah. No, yes, I knew that. Well, listen, Yanni, Yanni's, Yanni's actually a friend, you know. And, and by the way, that's not his accent. He only uses that accent when there's girls around. Yeah. He really doesn't have an uh, accent. You know? uh, the name of the book is John Tesh, Relentless, Unleashing a Life of Purpose, Grit, and Faith. Really, really nice to catch up with you. Thank you so much for sharing the story, not only of the NBA on NBC, but all the other stories. Very, very powerful stuff. I wish you and Connie all the best. I wish you continued health and, and great success with the book. Thanks so very much for stopping by. That's awesome. Thank you. This has been great therapy for me. I love your... I love your energy. I appreciate it. It's time that we talk saving money with my buddy Jordan Flowers at the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. How are you, Jordan? Mitch, I am doing great. I am still trying to track you down to win someone money back from <laughs> golf last year. We'll do it. Do I have to call you J-Flo on the golf course, or can I call you Jordan? Yeah, you know, J-Flo's just going to pump me up. <laughs> you better be careful. What are rates these days on 30-year fixed? Yeah, rates are still, we're quoting out in the high twos, low threes on 30-year fixed rates right now. So depending on if you're looking to do a cash-out refinance or a straight rate and term refinance, you're still being able to capitalize on historically low interest rates. Good time to buy a house in the Pacific Northwest? Always a great time to buy. Certainly has its challenges for our buyers, but it's still a great time to buy. And we're helping a lot of people buy homes right now, even with as little as zero to 3% down. We've got some tricks up our sleeve that help our buyers win in competitive situations. So always a great time to look at it. So if I'm considering a refinance, how do I know when the right time is to call you guys? If I look at my 30-year fix that I'm involved in right now, and I see, let's say, 3.7%. 
Can I save money yeah. by calling you? Absolutely, 100%. You could be looking at saving money on a new 30-year, getting in the high twos, low threes, or shortening the payoff time frame that you have on it and say going to a 20 year fixed or something. So certainly mid to high threes, you should be looking at refinancing and taking advantage of these low rates for right. as long as they're here. What's the time investment? How long do I have to talk to Jordan? How long do I have to talk to JFlow to find out how much money I can save? You can talk to JFlow for as little as five to seven minutes okay. or as long as you'd like to chat. <laughs> <laughs> And how do I get a hold of Jordan Flowers in the Kirkland office at Gill Mortgage? Our direct office line is 425-250-3145. And the cell phone you can text or call is 425-890-2957. Mitch Unfiltered would not be very far without our sponsors, in particular Jordan Flowers and the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. She's back. Senior financial planner Katie Versio, Evergreen Golf Call. How are you, Katie? And how are all my friends doing over at Evergreen? Uh, I'm good. We're all good. Thanks for asking and for having me today, Mitch. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm feeling okay because I've never gone three for three on one of your financial trivia contests. And I'm hoping that today is the day. Do we have a theme today, Katie? Yes. So the theme is of new legislation that's recently been passed in Washington. So hopefully you've been uh, oh, researching, no. been no. studying that. No. <laughs> Go ahead. What's question number one? Number one. Okay. So Washington recently passed the Long-Term Care Trust Act, which is a new payroll tax to help fund long-term care services. According to Morningstar, what current percentage of individuals individuals turning 65 will end up needing some kind of long-term care in their life. Is it 30%, 45, 60, or 70%? Oh, I'm going out the window right away. I'll say 60%, Katie. Oof, unfortunately, the answer is 70%. Oh. So that means the majority of those that are turning 65 today will need, whether it's nursing home care, assisted living, home health care, some kind of services as they age. I'm protesting Morningstar. Go ahead, question number two. <laughs> okay, true or false? This one's a little bit easier. You only got two options here. Oh, no. So all workers, since this is a payroll tax, all workers in Washington state are required to pay this tax. True or false? Oh. I'll say true, Katie, go ahead. Tell me Oops. it's false. Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> it's good news for the taxpayers, not good news for uh, your record here. Oh. But there are some exceptions. If you're an independent contractor, if you are a 1099 worker, you don't have to pay this tax. If you don't want to, you can opt into it. Also, if you have a long-term care policy or you purchase one in 2021, you are able to opt out of this tax. When my parents see my report card, <laughs> going to be bad news in the Levy household. <laughs> Go ahead. Question number three. Let me see if I can save some face. Go ahead. All right. So another law that was recently passed, but is currently being debated. There's some lawsuits against this one. It's regarding capital gains. How the law stands today is there will be a flat 7% tax that's assessed to capital gains exceeding what dollar amount? Is it 50,000, 100,000, 250,000 or 300,000? Well, I'm, I'm throwing the two extremes out. 
I'm in the middle of 100 and 250. I'll go 100,000, Katie. Ooh, I'm sorry that you're zero for three on this one. It's actually 250,000. Really? If you are selling stocks, any other types of property, and you have gains in a given year above 250,000, as the law stands today, there will be a flat 7% tax assessed to that. Have you ever heard of going easy on the host, Katie? You're supposed to go easy on the host. I love her anyway. She's back with us, senior financial planner, Katie Versio of Evergreen Golf Call. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen Golf Call is everything wealth. Unfiltered. Episode 148, he's back. He's Hotshot Scott. He's glowing. Yes, glowing. From his uh, days in Hawaii. This is the other stuff. Sam. See, I need 10 more days now because yeah. now I got a good base. Now I want to go back for 10 more and no, I no, will no. look. You're, you look fine. I will look incredible. Look I have tanorexia where I never, I don't feel like I'm tanning. That's what I call it, tanorexia. It's not a real thing. But I always look, I'm like, <laughs> it's, I think it's fading. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm tanning do you go, anymore. Do you go swimming in the ocean? Uh, I told you I stalked a sea turtle for 15 oh, yeah, yeah, minutes yeah, yeah, while yeah, they were yeah, having yeah, yeah. supper. You, have you ever done like... Um, not snorkeling. What did we do when we went one Not year? scuba. You think... Snuba. Have you ever done snuba? I've heard of it. Snuba is where you go down, but you don't have a license to have a tank on your back. You right. go down like 30 feet or 40 or 50 feet, and you are... Your air is... The, the tubes are floating above you in rafts. That's and you're, right. And you're on a line. It's so funny. I saw a picture I of that. I did that. I did that twice, and it it's was... incredible, most, right? Most, one of the most amazing things I've ever it's done. The only, I'm not a scuba diver. It's the only time you feel like you can fly. You're just floating above the ground. It's not, you know, you're in the water, obviously, but I'm right above a sea turtle who's eating and I'm floating around. It's just, I, no, you're I, on the edge. Yeah, I'm, I'm barely under the water. But I'm 50 feet down. I saw a picture of that. I was like, how does it somebody snorkel that low? And now, Snuba, you're telling me. Yes, you have a line that's connected to you. That's how you get air. Yeah. Love it. And you're down there for about 30 to 40 minutes. Oh, so great. And you feel like you're in an absolute different world. Yeah, that's right. Like so You're like a visitor in somebody else's world. I wanted to follow the turtle back to a secret cave and sleep with him wherever wherever, wherever he or she sleeps. All right, a quick... a quick. Did you book the turtle on a, episode 149? A quick feel-good story by uh, yes. Zach Levine. You've heard of Zach Levine. Oh, I played golf with them last summer. Kids at a sneaker, sneaker shop in California got the surprise of their lifetime when he walked in and hooked them up with some new Jordans. So four oh, lucky nice. kids were hanging out at Swish Studios in Irvine when he, he showed up to get some shoes for himself and they just wrapped up a soccer tournament. They knew who he was right away and that's when he went out over to each kid and said pick out a pair of shoes that you want. And so they picked up. Love Zach Levine. That's so great. Bothell High School. Yep. Correct. Right. Yep. UCLA for a, for a minute. I think so, yeah. UCLA for a minute. Now he's got Team Levine, which your daughter plays on. That's exactly And right. he's representing who coming up? Oh, Team USA. The United Olymp- States. The freaking Bothell kid. A Bothell High School kid is playing for the Olympics. <laughs> That's amazing. Come on. I know. So How did that happen? Each kid got a pair of the Jordan 4 UNCs that just came out in April. So uh, he spent about three grand on everything. So good for Zach Levine. Do you know the name Tamorian Terry? Uh, no. He was a Florida State wide receiver. Okay. Who went undrafted, but a pretty talented guy. Okay. So, you know what John Schneider likes to do? He likes to sign talented guys who go undrafted and make them undrafted free agents. The Seahawks are known yes, they are. for their great selection of undrafted free agents. Well, he was signed as an undrafted free agent. People thought within the, within the building that maybe he could pop. We don't know. And then he was released. Okay. I'm like, wait a second. We haven't even started yet. Right. Why, why was he? A couple of days later, we found out he's one of 11 defendants in a grand jury indictment for the murder of a 21-year-old in a 2018 nightclub incident. Ugh. Probably the reason that they 
that they decided to go in a different direction. Most likely the reason yeah. that they're going to pass. Yes. Ah, it's a bummer. So that's the bummer NFL story. And then there's this story. And I, I know that people are maybe Trevor Lawrence out, but Trevor Lawrence signed his first NFL contract. Did you read this? I happen to see that, yeah. Do you see how much it is? Well, the, It's a slated thing. Yes, it is. But okay. The, it's $36.8 million with a $24.1 million signing bonus, <sighs> right? So I guess that's the first, what, five years? I think it's 36.8. I think that I think their first think contract right. is five years. It's a fifth-year option. That, But my question to you is, if Trevor Lawrence clicks, if Trevor Lawrence hits, yeah. if he's like one of the great quarterbacks in the league, how much money <laughs> is he going to make in I his know. football career? Think I, about it. I know. This is the first $36.8 million. Forget endorsements, which if he hits and the Jaguars are great and he's this fair-haired quarterback and for the next 20 years, if he's Aaron Rodgers, forget endorsements. How much – I mean, guys are now signing, what, 40 – the next Russell Wilson contract, he's going to want $40, $50 million a year. I think Mahomes is he's the leader just, right now, right? He's just right. Mahomes just signed that. How much, oh. if this guy is great, is he going to make over the next 20, over the next 15 years in the NFL? I, I, I don't know how they're going to. $300 million, $400 million, <laughs> $500 million, how much? How are they going to be able to afford any other players is what I want to know. Salary cap's going to have to keep going up. You and I are going to get calls from the Jaguars to see if we can play offensive line and running back because – they're not going to be able to afford you. What else? Let me tell you something. If you're playing offensive line, he's not going to be happy in Jackson. No, no, I'm playing running back. You're playing oh, offensive okay. line. You got it wrong. Got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious to see as well. All right, one day. All right, actually, uh, the Atlanta Hawks general manager Travis Schlenk. You like Travis Schlenk? Do no, you? I don't know who Travis Schlenk is, but I do know who the Atlanta Hawks coach is. Okay. And I also know who the Atlanta Hawks owner is. You know, you might remember who. This is like. This is like. The eight de- six degrees of Kevin Bacon. What is eight degrees? Seven I degrees? Think it's six? Six degrees of Kevin Bacon, I think. Uh, I'll, I'll skip it because you. Pro- this might fall flat. You who, the owner? Yeah. Of the, the Hawks? The, the owner of the Hawks, who the owner of the Hawks is married to. Go on. No, let's go on. But you're going to leave it at that? I, I, I got to come up now. with her name. She's an actress. Okay. She's an old actress that you probably don't remember. I'm probably the only one who remembers. The general manager yeah. announced Monday afternoon that the team had an agreement in place with coach Nate McMillan to remove yes. the interim Mac label 10. from his title and keep him with the franchise for going forward. Do we know how much? We don't. I didn't see it. Uh, Woj. Woj is the one that came the out Woj with it. Woj bomb. Yeah. Yeah, so it says the deal's for four seasons. Uh, as we know, we led him to the Eastern Conference Finals after kind of a rough start. So good for Nate Mack. Oh Love it. Oh, God. Pretty crazy, right? The job that he did, I, I mean, yeah. I don't know. And then you're talking to wheels about the Blazers. Yes, did, yes. They got rid of Terry Stotts. I mean, you had Nate McMillan right there. Oh, yeah, did. You had your coach. I mean, Jesus. Like, calm down, everybody. Forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forgot about that. <laughs> Should we mention the errant fireworks that took the life of a Columbus NHL goaltender? I- I'm afraid to mispronounce the guy's name. He's 24-year-old Matisse Clevelanique's. Clevelanique's. Well, because I prepare for the show, I watch you- a YouTube clip of him. Oh, okay. It's Kivlenix. Kivlenix. Yes. Okay. 24 years old. Brutal. Dead at the age of 24. How? Not a drunk driver, not cancer, not a not a bank robbery that went wrong. He's dead at the age of 24 because of errant fireworks right. on July 4th. Not even fireworks that he was effing around with. Correct. He had no part it's of it. It's not them. Jason Pierre-Paul losing right. three fingers. That's right. Well, you kind of go, well, be careful. It's what, you know. No, he had no. no part of it. Yeah. yeah. Brutal. Again. Yeah. Which brings me to Here the fireworks. Here comes the soapbox. Let me push it over to you. Go ahead. There it is. Get on it. I do it every year. Yep. I get it on the radio. I don't get that. I, 
I'm all for all those fireworks that you watch from a distance that go up in the air and that professionals do. The music and the whole thing. The music, and you see them on the mall on July 4th, and Ario Speedwagon is singing. (laughs) Can't fight this feeling anymore. It's it's an old story. Oh, yeah. Kevin Cronin will be next. Uh, I'm all for all of that. The dun-dun-dun, you know, the patriotic music, the, the colors in the air. But I will never get... All of you, and I guess I'm going to lump you in. Yeah, I'm, All these people love that love to go to the store and get these things and light them off in their driveways and oh. do the... I just... You don't I, have the I, bug. I don't, I don't get... I've never understood that. You, even as a kid, First you of didn't all, want to light stupid. anything? No, not even a sparkler. I wouldn't even take a sparkler. Because of the danger? Or no, just didn't... just no. It's, it doesn't even look interesting. What's interesting about uh, okay. it? Okay, well, sparklers are stupid, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you get those big mortar shells. They go boom and then... You can make your own show. Yeah, that, my father and I yeah, were we were we got dull. Th- we got three fuses. We wrap them all together, light all three at the same time. I will never oh. understand you people that like home homemade fireworks. I don't get it. And then you get a question of a guy dying at 24. You get this story of a yeah. he's an NHL goaltender. It's incredible that, that this dead. Is, I mean, amazing. What happened? Somebody something tilted and it shot right at him or something? What happened? Do you even did you read it? Yeah. So so mortar shells are the ones that they they pop. They're loud and then they go up and go like the ones you yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So they're in a tube and it just sits on a little plastic base. Typically, the ones you buy, you could walk over and flick it with your finger and knock it over. It's not the most stable thing. So if you're drunk or been drinking, you kick course, it over. I mean, uh, lots can go wrong. My, my daughter was at a professional show in Snoqualmie. And she said one of them, one of those fell over and was shooting down the hill. And there, there can always be like a mistake. So, yeah, it just and, and, falls over. And so is the bang for the buck worth? I mean, are you getting is the enjoyment worth that risk? I, I can't even see one even layer of enjoyment of homemade fireworks. Like if somebody <laughs> they're not homemade, first of all, whatever but, you yeah. call them. I don't know. You, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not talking about the things that shoot up in the air. From yeah, right, the, right. The, you know, on the on stuff Lake you Washington. buy at the. Uh, yeah, I, I don't get I, if somebody called me over to their house and they had bought a whole bunch of that stuff and they had lit, I would be bored out of my mind. There'd be nothing that's interesting about that. You me. don't like the big boom noise? No, it do no. much for you? A noise? Boom. It's kind of cool. A noise. It's a noise. I've noticed that it turns into a, kind of a pissing contest down where my father-in-law used to live on Lake Sammamish. Yeah. It's sort of a contest of who's got the bigger boom and who's got the cooler fireworks oh and God. people love to outdo each other. It's, I think there's an element of that as well. Really? It's kind of the big dogs are scared. Yeah, that that part. Cats sucks. are scared. Mitch Levy's scared. I'm not scared. Yeah. I'm just not entertained. I, look, you take me over to like, um, where do they do them on Lake Union? Yeah, yeah, Lake Union. They also did them on Space Elliot Needle. Bay. Maybe they come off the Space yeah. Needle. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. That's okay. nice. Yeah, that's nice. Watch them from a distance. Go up on a hill. Take a look. Look up in the air. Sit on a sit on a <laughs> a blanket. See, I'm out. I'm, I'm fine. Out. I'm out on that. that. That's fine. Turn on the TV. We put it on, you know, in D.C. They're going up and they're, they got symphonies. And I, I love all yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't do I'm very patriotic. But this, this, this nonsense. See, my, my dream is to go to Ocean Shores and then there's a reservation that sells the good stuff, you know, a few miles the north. good stuff. What's the good stuff? I, I, I went to a guy's trunk one time and bought a <laughs> ping pong ball full of gunpowder. Yeah. He had a tennis ball and a soccer ball that you could purchase. Okay. And what happens? It's the loudest, this ping pong ball. It's a ball. noise. You're buying this for a noise. Well, but You want to hear a big, loud noise. But there's a campfire. You're going to spend 50 well, bucks more than a noise. to listen to a noise. So there's a campfire on the beach. Everyone's sitting around lighting stuff off, and it's kind of quiet. And I sneak away. I'm like, I don't know, 30 feet down the beach. And I, I wanted to light it to scare the hell out of everyone. And the, you should have seen the ball of light that came out of it. It was awesome. And it was so loud, but I was, I was nervous lighting it, I'll tell you. 
A ping pong ball full of gunpowder is no joke. I'm bored listening to it. <laughs> we'll go to the and ocean And then I read about an NHL goalie yeah. dying over this whole thing. I first read that he slipped and hit his head. Yes, and- that's what happened. But now they're saying it was from the chest compression. Oh, oh. Yeah, because that was the first story that came out was... I thought he was running in one direction that I see that, and they slipped on a... Or, or, I saw that he was getting out of a hot tub. Oh, that's correct. That's what yeah, I saw. he was getting out of a hot tub. That's right, and, and, and hit the ground. Yeah, but now they're saying it was from the actual b- bang on yeah, it that great. hit him in the chest. Yeah, it's I know. Your, it's your fault. It's awful. Pretty brutal. All right, my turn. I don't know how to follow a guy, 24-year-old. Well, I could go Bill Cosby if you want me to go next. Real quick, one day after the NCAA announced they'll allow athletes to make dough off their image and likeness, Master P's son, Hersey Miller, signed a multi-million dollar deal. All right, he's going to be a fresh, incoming freshman at Tennessee State. He plays basketball. Signed a $2 million deal with an American technology company. So I, here I, we go. It, well, there's been a ton of them in the last week. Okay, well, From the midnight, when this clock struck midnight on whatever the day was. Yeah. Everybody started announcing deals. Yeah, he's one of them. Pretty, uh, you know, beautiful women who playing basketball at colleges have done marketing deals, TikTok stars, whatever. They're, they're all uh, everybody is trying to make a, a, a buck. Uh, even uh, Buddy Beheim is good, selling his own T-shirt. <laughs> is he selling T-shirts? <laughs> selling T-shirts, and and yet, my favorite part of the NIL experience so far is that somebody went out and found an old quote of Dabo Sweeney, the Clemson ah. head coach who once said just a couple of years ago, the day that college football players are allowed to make money off their name and endorsements is the day that I quit being a college football coach. (laughs) Well, Davo, here we go. We're waiting. (laughs) Clemson needs a new head coach. Is he still the head coach of Clemson as we speak? Yes, he sure is. Oh, he is. And he will be. And he will be. And he will be. Well, this is not political, but there were a lot of people that said, if Trump wins, I'm going to Canada. <laughs> still waiting for those people to move. I think a lot of them are probably still here. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. So do you see the Shikari Richardson story, the woman who tested positive for marijuana? She's like a favorite to win the 100-meter race for the U.S. Well, now she's not in the 100-meter race, right? Yeah, she got, Yeah, she's out. She's out, yeah. Because I of— I saw that. The whole world has been like, oh, come on. Really? You're not going to let her— race in the olympics because she tested positive for marijuana and she had a lot of stuff going on in her home well she said she, she had lost her birth mother right. just before correct yep. yes yeah so she came out and said she indulged after learning her biological mom died and she didn't make any excuses for it well yeah so now the the ongoing question is should she be or i guess the question is should marijuana be on the list of banned substances for athletes everyone can have their opinion but that's that's the big debate is it a, is it a performance enhancer well, is there anybody in the world that thinks that I'm, I'm, I'm asking this? I'm not yeah, yeah. I'm not asking this facetiously. I'm asking this. Is there anybody in the world that thinks that she has a better chance than the other runners winning a hundred meter race if she has done marijuana and they haven't? The only that's my question, because if the answer to that is yes, then it she should be banned. And if the answer to that is it has nothing to do with the race, then uh, come on. It's it's legal in, in how many states right. now? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the only athlete I think that would benefit from smoking marijuana would be Joey Chestnut. If I, if I had to pick one. He's doing fine. He's the only one. Imagine what he would do him? if he got high. I mean, he'd be the only guy. Maybe that would, he is high. So I, Maybe. But no, I, I mean, I, I can hear people going, yeah, but it's on the list, dumbbell. You know what's on the list. You can't do it. So there, there's that angle, too. Like, if, if you know what's on the list, you've got to be so Every big-time athlete but it doesn't has help rallied you. to her support. It doesn't help you. It's not an enhancer. It's just, okay, so if anything, it hurts doing you. Then? Well, then what but, are we doing? But like the president said, rules are rules. I mean, it is on the list. 
So if, if you knew it was on the list, would you do yeah. anything you could to not ruin your Olympic? I mean, come on. You got to yeah. be. Al- I mean, she even admits it. She goes, yes, I know it was on the list. I'm stupid. I shouldn't have done it. But yeah, it's a it's a big, big Did debate. Did she think she wasn't going to test positive? Who knows? Did she have somebody else do the urine test or something? She With the old Wizenator? Urine? The Wizenator? Yeah. Mo Morris? No, it wasn't Mo Morris. No, who was, was the that? Other? It was Ontario Smith, maybe. Maybe it was yeah. an Oregon running back involved. I'm just I'm just spouting off an Oregon running. There's back. another one I love. This name called Urine Luck. <laughs> I always love that one. Urine Luck. You just like the title. Oh, that's great. Anyway, uh, you're up. I am. Bill Cosby's working on a documentary. It's almost finished from Lionsgate. He's planning a return to the stage, uh, and he's uh, going to write a book. Wait, it's not the stage. I don't think of it's yes. a documentary. No, he's doing a documentary, which is almost complete. All that's left to do in the documentary, it's been worked on for a long time, is he's got to do his interviews with the woman. I I guess a a very prestigious journalist, so they're going to have a documentary. He's out, and and whether you like it or not, Bill Cosby is working, and he's talking about a return to the stage. Now, how many people are going to show up at a Bill Cosby show on Broadway? And is this a show that he's creating? He wants to return to the, the stage mean, who, show. Who's yeah. going to hire him, first of all? Well, he's going to probably do it all Just himself. create his own but show? Will anybody come or will it be packed? What will I, that? There's, your, there's a great social experiment for you. Right. If in a year from now or two years from now, maybe a year from now, there's a Broadway show. It, and by the way, what theater is going to allow him to come into their... Exactly. There's going to be a few barriers to entry on this one, but I'm trying to read this story in a lawn chair by the pool, and it's kind of hot, and it was glary, and I couldn't yeah. get it. He got out on a technicality? He got out on a technicality, oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. I, I, if you ask me to explain it to you, the best I could do is say that he agreed to be deposed in a case years ago, and he had an agreement in hand that what he said could not be used against him in a trial. Okay. And then, so he agreed to do it, and he answered the questions honestly under oath, and he incriminated himself, and then they used it in a trial, and he ended up going to jail for a couple of years, Yeah. and now he's been released. Every, by the way, and I, this is not, I mean, there are 60 women out there, right. and probably maybe even more that we don't know about, that are heartbroken over what's going on, and I, I, I am certainly empathetic to their, to their sensitivities, but there is not one legal analyst that I've seen now, there may be some out there, but I've read a bunch of opinions on this. Okay. And from a strictly legal perspective, strictly okay. legal, you got to take emotion out of it. Right. This was the right decision. There's not one legal expert, whether they like Bill Cosby or not, right. that writes this was the wrong. This had to be done if you're protecting the American judicial system. There was an agreement in place. He should not have ever gone to jail. He went to jail for two years, and he should have never gone on to jail based on this particular trial because of the agreement. People always say, or they always wonder why you pay so much money for top-notch good lawyers, why you would hire a dream team of lawyers. Well, correct. this would be why. If one of those lawyers came up with it and got him off on a technicality. It's, it's incredible. My question OJ's is... OJ's walking around too. Why, if this was an easy legal decision, wasn't it done two years ago before he went to jail? Maybe they didn't have the information. Maybe they didn't, I don't know. They I don't didn't know, so but their team. But he's out and he's working. Well, here's the thing. Whether you like it or not, there he's was, 83 years old. There was a lot of talk from him in prison that he's losing his eyesight and we should feel sorry for him and that he should be able to... Oh, is that? I don't know that. And that he should be able to, to finish up from home, home confinement. Okay. The judge said no, no can do on that. Right. So now let's see how bad his eyesight is once he gets out. Oh. 
I'm curious to see if he's going <laughs> to, you're going to go on a stage. Okay. There's an uh, edge there. I don't know if you can't uh, see, you might want to be careful. I wonder if his eyesight will miraculously come back. Now it's going to be like the scene from trading places of Eddie Murphy and they pick him up and he's <laughs> yeah. like, my legs, I've got my legs. <laughs> I can walk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Eh, we'll see. We'll see. All right. This is just a quick one. I thought it was yeah. a Guinness world records announced a new record holder for the world's oldest living man. 112-year-old Emilio Flores Marquez of Puerto Rico. Yeah. And by the way, um, he was born in August 8th, on August 8th, 1908 in Puerto So he has a birthday in like a month and a half. So he's going to be 113 years old, God willing, in uh, about a month and a half. He was the second of 11 children born to his parents. So there you go. Oldest man in the world right now. We have a new record holder. Where is he? Puerto Rico. Wow. They always ask like, what's the secret? If, uh, they didn't ask this guy. And I... That's why I needed to be there doing the interviewing, you know, because I come up with good questions like that. Do we want to get into the Rachel Nichols stuff or maybe save that? We'll save that for P. Okay. Save that for P. Uh, quick RIP, unless you have another one. Well, well, I did the, my RIP to the, to the goaltender of the, uh, yeah. of the uh, Columbus team in the NHL. Yeah. One of the most famed and prolific directors of all time reportedly passed away. Richard Donner. You know that name? No. I do have an RIP, but no. Oh, yes. you do? Yeah. Okay. Richard Donner. Really? That name? Nothing? Yeah, it's familiar. Okay. No word on what, why he exactly passed or what the circumstances were, but Donner got his first big directing break with the classic film The Omen. Probably, you probably oh, yeah. haven't seen that. No, but I remember it. It's an old, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was like a horror movie. Is that, is that um, Blair, Linda Blair? That's no. The Exorcist. Okay. But it was during that time. Okay. There were a lot of, okay. you know, yeah. um, but that catapulted him to stardom, led to his okay. next major studio film. Right. Then he did Superman. You've heard oh, of that. Yeah. The original. Like with Reeve? With, uh, yeah, with Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeve. Right. And then he yeah. did The Goonies. He did all the Lethal Weapon movies. He did oh, Scrooge, really? The Toy, Donner. Maverick, wow. Lady Hawk, Assassins. He's he's big time. He's oh. 91 years old. Okay. And he, he also shepherded and he was like an EP and he helped films like The Lost Boys, Free Willy, X-Men all get made. So anyway, sad to hear that Richard Donner passed away at 91 years old. A complete Hollywood heavyweight. And Terry Donahue died, the former college football oh, and NFL. Yes. Aww. He passed away in his 70s after a fight with cancer. I don't mm. have the details in front of me. But you remember Terry Donahue, UCLA. I think guy. Maybe San Francisco 49ers for a cup of coffee? I think hmm. so. I don't know that. Broadcaster for ABC for a cup of coffee or more than a cup of coffee? Yeah. Kind of an overall really likable guy. Passed away in his 70s in the yeah. last couple of days. Yeah, no, I totally remember him from okay. UCLA. Yeah, good. All right, you ready for one more final one? Oh, we... you have? Really? Well, we don't have to. I mean, yeah, no, no, we need one more. After realizing that his dipping sauce was not included with his chicken McNugget order, an Iowa man called his local McDonald's and threatened to blow up the restaurant, according to investigators. Robert Gullwitzer, 42, was arrested Saturday evening and charged with making a false report about an explosive or incendiary device, which, by the way, is a felony. So everybody calm down if you get upset about your McNugget order, all right? It's a freaking felony. He allegedly phoned in a threat to a McDonald's five miles from his home in Ankeny, a Des Moines suburb. The phone threat, cops charge, came after he discovered that his McDonald's order was bereft of dipping sauces. Uh, that can piss you off, but not enough to do this, right? Uh, the threatening call to the restaurant was placed from a phone from a number associated with him. And when they, when questioned by cops, he admitted it. He called the victim and made the threats. He also threatened to kick the ass of the employee. So they're going to go ahead and tack that on as well. So he was, in fact, arrested. And, uh, you know, he was sent to jail. So be careful with making threats out there, everybody. Hmm? That's it. That, that's the story. Oh, the criminal complaint doesn't specify what flavor. I really wanted to know what flavor of dip dipping sauce drove him to this sort of madness. All right, I think we can all relate to this guy, right? One time I ordered one large fry, and instead they gave me a bunch of little ones. <laughs> Look, 
I don't know anything about. I don't know anything uh, about blowing this up. This comes from the beaches of Hawaii. <laughs> Go Look, ahead. Listen, I don't know anything about blowing up a McDonald's. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Their bathroom's a different story. Oh. Don't make me ever go into one of those. <laughs> I've blown a few of those up. Good news, bad news about My this God. story. Are you ready? I don't know where I'd rather be, a, a McDonald's bathroom <laughs> oh. or those or those climbing tubes that the kids go oh, through. Oh, yeah, packed with germs. Oh, pick their nose pee. and quiet. Yeah, it's, oh. it's all bad. I will. God love McDonald's, those though. tunnels. I will say on a side note, you, you never feel obligated to buy anything if you really have to go. You don't. They're always available, it feels never like. Never done it. Oh, really? I oh. go in my pants before I go. <laughs> <laughs> That's like my safe space. I love the McDonald's what, bathroom. pants? Yes, it is. All right, good news, bad news about this story. The good news is he was released from the Polk County Jail after posting bond. The bad news is he still has to live in Iowa. And finally, in this guy's wildest dreams. Thanks. He- See, now you know why I, I won't let him do a Florida man story. That's right, because that just would have been right to Florida. Yeah. All right, this guy in his wildest dreams never imagined he'd go through the McDonald's drive-thru and end up looking like the Hamburglar. He literally had the stripes on in his mugshot. <laughs> Did you ever think? Do you like chicken McNuggets? Of, look at me. Do I look like a guy who doesn't? Of course. Do you get sauce? Yes, I do. There's only Which one to get. Uh, Don't I, give me that sweet and sour shit. No, I get the honey mustard. Well, you, you get the barbecue. Are you thinking of hot mustard? Yeah, hot mustard. That, oh, I don't mean honey mustard. Yeah, hot mustard. That's the only one to get. Oh, that's the one you get? Oh, yeah. I would have thought you were a barbecue guy. No, no, no. Don't, don't give me that sweet and sour. Hot mustard, bar- yeah. The yellow, the oh. yellow. Oh, yeah. You know, they discontinued it in 2015. No, I don't. The, the, the hot the, mustard. The hot mustard. But they brought it back because of people like me complaining. They got inundated with like, what the hell are you doing? When I worked McDonald's yes. in the summer of like 1982, okay. 83, the McNuggets were a relatively new thing. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And and there were only six-piece McNuggets, as I recall. Not eight-piece. I think it was six-piece McNuggets. Okay. And the rule was, when you put the McNuggets in the, from that big bag into the fryer, sure. which I did on many occasions, oh, yeah. you have to put multiples of six oh, I see. in yeah. there because you don't want to have two left over. You can't put two from that batch with two from another batch from another fryer. I guess those have to go down the hatch. There weren't many co-workers, colleagues, that could come up with a number... <laughs> Yeah, go on. That was a multiple of six. Yeah. There was always one or two, and yeah, it pissed yeah. me the shit off. <laughs> Who did this? There's two hanging up. People could Just, not get. Okay, 24, 30. Yeah, I'm with you. Come on. They couldn't wrap their head 36. around 36. Just dumped the bag in and call they it good. They're like, well, yeah. 22. 20. Yeah. There was always a couple extra. Yeah. Am, am I, I, and by the way, I think that's why they went to 8 and 10 and 20, because employees couldn't figure That's out right. the multiples of six routine. I mean, God bless them, but it's yeah. not always Mensa members working there, so I don't know exactly what you're expecting. I was there. I worked there, too. <laughs> and I would take a piece of the, the yellow cheese, I'd put a McNugget on top of it and squirt it with some Mac sauce. Oh, delightful. Really? Great, great little treat. I remember that what you got for your 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 break, the free food that you got for your break, yeah. it was dependent on how many hours you worked that day. Okay. They've, so, they if you work like a, so if you worked like a five-hour shift or four-hour shift, you may have gotten a cheeseburger and a soda. Okay. But if you worked like an eight-hour shift, you could get like a, a Big Mac or a Coy. Oh. And it was like, oh, I'm on eight hours! Eight hours! 
for that for one free sandwich? No, to get an upgraded sandwich yeah, yeah, and yeah, maybe yeah. fries in there too. Oh, but you couldn't get the big the big thing when you were only working three or four hours. There was a shift. time when the food sat under a heat lamp. Do you remember that? Of course. But then there was a time limit on it. Yes, you press the button. You put the fry, especially the fries or the burgers. The burgers used to have a grease pencil. We put a number on them. Okay. Look, I I know the whole yeah, game. I know I know the special sauce. Enlighten us. Call me. <laughs> you got the ingredients. I got the ingredients. Sold them. Thousand Island. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, they, you, you you could not once the burgers and the and the sandwiches were in the bin for long. A yeah. certain you had to throw it all out. Right. And and when you brought the fries out of the frying machine, yeah. when you pulled the basket out, I put the basket up there. You had to press a button, and that started a timer. Right. That when the timer went off, the fries were done. You're like, I want those fries. Well, Can I have those fries, please? Guess who used to volunteer to take your food out <laughs> to the dumpster? <laughs> You never see the guy shove three McChickens in his mouth at one time. <laughs> I didn't care. The, the best, though, was I, had, I think I told this story. I had this manager who I loved, University of Miami graduate, actually. Yeah. Went to school with Jim Kelly. We would talk about sports. And he yeah. had kind of a long, a little bit longish hair. And it was a busy day. And he's wrapping the sandwiches and putting them in. And he's just exhausted. And he takes his hands. He pulls yeah. his hair back. And then oh, right geez. back to wrapping <laughs> That's the Seinfeld show. I told you that's oh, the Poppy God. show. Absolutely. My my favorite experience me. is when I was working oh, there Jesus. and the doors flung open on a Saturday in the middle of Mitchie's shift yeah. and my dad walked in oh, with my brothers. And he comes walking. He'd never been to a freaking McDonald's. He <laughs> right. comes walking in. He says, all right, cheeseburger medium, medium on, <laughs> on the medium man. Like a and little he's, pink he's in the middle. Me, keep the change. He's giving me tips. Oh, oh yeah. God. Doesn't work that way, just Dad. A, just a little pink in the Can middle. Can I get a medium well? <laughs> just a little bit underneath me well. Can you tell your guy? I'm like, Dad, oh, that God. doesn't work that way here. Side of broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> Some, uh, oh, yeah. Wrong place, Dad. Yeah. Thank you, Bobby. May he rest in peace. Episode 148. Right? 148? Yes. Episode 148 of the movie.